You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 422. Listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 4B at the Holiday Inn Riverwalk in San Antonio. Today's show is recorded on the 22nd of April, 2020. episode about three quarters of Norwegian's pilots and flight attendants are losing their jobs because of COVID-19. Richard Branson says he needs a government loan to keep Virgin Atlantic in business. More news, your feedback, and in today's plane tales, the man who fell to earth. Get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, flight 422, he is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an uh, Emmy Award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation, 1010 Winds, New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, ladies and gentlemen. We're an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a captain for a major U.S. legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. We like to call it Acme Airlines. And I am joined today by... My awesome co-hosts, first, from her lakeside home in the Carolinas. She's a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot. We call her Dr. Steph. You said awesome, so I had to put the sunglasses back on for Ooh, Awesome. If you're not watching the video, you'll have to just... I'm not watching the video. <laughs> great to be here. Looking forward to a great show. Good to see you guys. All righty. Great to see you as well, Steph. And also with us today, another awesome host from across the pond in the beautiful English countryside, a professional photographer, former RAFRAAF fighter pilot, retired captain for an international airline based in London. It's Richard. Captain Nick. Oh, you are so rude. You could have spoken over retard. <laughs> I, well, I'm I'm still alive, which is I don't know. What do I have to do to get some respect from you guys? No, we're having that meeting later. Yeah, yeah. Okay. staff meeting. Oh my, that was terrible. <laughs> and finally, another awesome host <laughs> from the northwest Atlanta suburbs. He's a barbecue master, motorcycle rider, pleasure boat skipper underwater photographer and last but not least captain for a major u.s legacy carrier captain dana wow what an exciting day so far today and it's only gonna get better great to be here guys all right all right well you know let's start off on the right foot and head over to the news folder stand by for news
Okay, we're going to start off uh, right off the bat with uh, some news about COVID-19 and uh, the, all of its, its effects on the airline industry. And I'm going to start off with bad news first, and then we'll work our way through the uh, list here with the uh, better and better stuff. Um, and I guess I heard through the grapevine that uh, even today, earlier today, that there are a couple uh, of other um, new airline or other airlines that have um, filed for bankruptcy or administration or whatever it's called in whatever part of the world it's happening in. Is that correct? I, uh, I yeah, hear- that's right. I, I heard about Air Mauritius. So I don't know if we're going to cover that one. That's, I don't uh, know if that's on the list or here or not. The article I don't that think I think it is not in our list. Uh, no. That's only today, and it's an airline. I've actually flown some of their aircraft uh, when they first got A three forties. They asked for some assistance from uh, our crews because they hadn't managed to train up enough crews to uh, fill fill all their services. So uh, we um, flew some of their aircraft for them. Lovely cabin crew, you know, great company, uh, beautiful place, Mauritius. Uh, so where is that? Is that in the uh, in the middle it's, of the? It's sort Atlantic? of uh, it's stuck out in the Atlantic a bit from Madagascar. Oh, okay. So you know, it's it's about opposite the Seychelles on the equator. So you could go to the Seychelles, you go to Mauritius. They're both very similar, sort of small in the islands. Ocean or Atlantic. Uh, did I say Atlantic? I yeah. Oh, the Indian, the Indian Atlantic. Yes. The other uh-huh. ocean. I don't know if it's <laughs> close enough to India to be in the Indian Ocean. I'd, but it's it's, it's over. The, it's on the, the that Indian side. Indian it's on the uh, yeah. It is. That, it is on the side of Africa. Eastern side of Africa. <laughs> yeah. Whichever ocean that is. Okay. You can tell you didn't fly over it very often, can't you? Um, and it's where the dodo used to come from. So. Uh, oh, the dodo bird. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, neat. Well, anyway, they're one, um, and uh, there are a few others that have um, notified the world today that they are shutting down. Uh, the article that I have here in front of me from Sirium, I'm not sure what that is, um, the uh, Norwegian airline uh, or a couple of their crew subsidiaries file for bankruptcy. Um, the two that they talk about here, Denmark and Sweden, um, the way they have it set up, they have different subsidiaries, and uh, that was kind of uh, one of the bones of contention that a lot of other airlines, especially U.S. airlines, had was the fact that uh, Norwegian was kind of operating these subsidiaries and uh, kind of taking advantage of the local. Well, who cares about that? Because it looks like that uh, the Danish and Swedish uh, subsidiaries have filed for bankruptcy, 4,000 pilots and cra- cabin crew members. Lot of folks involved with this. Um, let's see what else I'm scrolling down the article here. Um, Bernstein analyst, Daniel Roeska described Norwegian on the 14th of April as being quote at the end of the line after it proposed converting debt to equity in order to qualify for state aid. He wrote that Oslo had an interest in keeping the airline alive to facilitate connectivity for its corporate sector, but asked whether the airline would, quote, admit that the long-haul, low-cost experiment has failed and retreat back to its Nordic core. So a lot of airlines are talking about if they make it through this whole thing, they're going to uh, be much smaller, leaner, and meaner, Airlines, and it looks like uh, Norwegian, if they make it through this thing, uh, will be another one of those that is uh, not going to be a huge airline. Um, 
I thought there were a couple of others here um, that I'm scrolling down. I'm sorry that the, the um, the layout here in the articles are kind of, it's all kind of messed up. Sorry about that. I don't know if it's that way for you all on the, uh, on the crew <laughs> or not. Well, the South African are the, the next one that's uh, gone yeah. into administration, I believe. Okay. Why don't you take over? Because I'm not, I'm having issues with trying to figure out what these articles are here and what sure, I'm looking so at. It appears that the end is finally here for South African uh, discussions are taking place on how to lay off 4,700 staff. Uh, at the airline. Mm. Um, so Bloomberg is reporting that South African Airways is currently working on creating severance packages for its employees who will be laying, well, sorry, will be laid off uh, at the end of this month. Um, so they haven't got long to go, and I have no doubt that their final wage packets are not going to be paid. Um, so, oh, actually, all right, I, I'm Unlike a lot of airlines, and I only say this through bitter experience uh, from following my friends through these sort of events, it seems that employees will be getting one month of pay plus one week of pay for every year of service. So, uh, you know, hats off to uh, the South African government for making sure these people aren't left out of pocket. And uh, so many airlines normally go... Uh, into bankruptcy so short of funds that the final wage packet for their employees is rarely paid. This is really good news. Uh, If you can call losing your job uh, in an environment where there are going to be pitifully a few jobs available, uh, good news. So really do feel for them. But they have been struggling for a while. Uh, and um, they've suffered from administrative problems as well as financial problems. Uh, and uh, the question is, what will happen in the future? Will South Africa, South Africa get a new airline? Almost certainly. Hmm. I noticed another one here on our list of airlines that are having issues. Um, Virgin, the creator of Virgin Atlantic, has been in a 36-year-old, a 36-year feud with his main rival. Now he's offering up his own Caribbean island as collateral. It may not be enough. The pandemic could succeed in doing something that British Airways has been trying its hardest to do for 36 years. Kill off Virgin Atlantic, the airline created by the swashbuckling entrepreneur Richard Branson. Uh, They've been losing money for two years before the pandemic hit. Now it's grounded and desperately seeking a bailout from the British government. Um, Anyway, so uh, it has more information about this. Anything in particular you might want to say about that, uh, Nick? Yeah, there there, there seem to be uh, some enemies of uh, the head of the Virgin Group, Richard Branson, that are out in the newspapers, and uh, their daggers drawn. So, you know, it's a bit like um, uh, the killing of uh, Caesar uh, and, uh, you know, et tu Brutus. Et tu Brutus. Uh, exactly. So, uh, you know, they there are an awful lot of people who seem to have a thing about Richard Branson, disregarding the fact that this has been a, a very successful airline over many years and has fought off many previous problems. Uh, it seems to be a personal thing about the head of the Virgin Group, which, of course, is very distressing if you're one of the employees working for Virgin Atlantic. And, uh, you know, people seem to be um, taking out personal grudges against him, particularly in the press and on social media. 
Uh, of course, those of us who, who have worked and my many friends who still do work for uh, the company are desperate for it to keep going because uh, they don't want to be joining the queues of the unemployed. And uh, Virgin Atlantic are really the only viable uh, competitor for British Airways uh, mm-hmm. in the United Kingdom. All right, let's move from there to the other side of the world in the Southern Hemisphere. Unions are calling on the government to help support Virgin Australia after the airline entered voluntary administration today. The country's, well, that wasn't today. It was the 21st of April, which was yesterday. The country's second really like two days ago for us. Or two days? Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're right. They're ahead of us in so many ways. (laughs) Nobody will know, Steph, because by the time they hear this, it'll probably be years years ago anyway the country's second largest carrier has appointed deloitte to help it recapitalize and make it through the coronavirus crisis after talks with various parties including the government to secure financial support failed to produce a solution the transport workers union the twu twuu would that be a t triple u said the government should work out a plan with trade unions to go before the administrators. Anyway, so uh, more information there about that, but there another one that is uh, suffering quite in a, in a big way. Yeah. I'm not quite sure how this works because normally if you go to administration, it means you're bankrupt, but Mm -hmm. it looks like they're putting themselves in the hands of an administrator who will try and refinance the company. So there's so, a chance. What you're saying is, yeah, I have a chance. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I think you know, it's time to give them their oxygen. For mm-hmm. you know, turn it on 100 percent oxygen now. Get some more ventilators over here. Yeah. All right. I don't know. Any more bad news you want to talk about, or should we start switching back to news. positive news? Okay. Um, this article from. Yeah, it's my fault. I erased all the uh, <laughs> where um, these things are. From WBTV. It's a local news station here in Charlotte. Oh, cool. All right. Well, I'm going to let Steph read this one because she's from the Charlotte area. I can do that. So this says, um, volunteer pilots are transporting dozens of COVID-19 test samples from Georgia to labs in Charlotte for testing. The nonprofit organization Angel Flights provides air transportation to patients who must travel far uh, for medical treatment. Volunteer pilots use their own planes, fuel, and time to transport patients to and from treatment in the Southeast. Uh, a lot of them are cancer patients. A lot of them are burn patients, uh, said one of the volunteer pilots. And last year, the organization completed 3,500 trips. So now what they're doing, the organization is transferring test samples to labs in the Southeast on behalf of Navicent Health. Uh, Navicent Health serves uh, more than 55 counties in South and Central Georgia. Uh, although the hospital system has been collecting the samples, it does not have the ability to actually test them. So without the angel flights, the health system would have to transport the specimens to the labs by ground. By flying the specimens to labs that can test them, the turnaround time to get patients' results is much quicker. Uh, makes me feel good that today or tomorrow these people will know if they have COVID. Volunteer pilot for Angel Flights Blanton Hamilton said. Hamilton of Shelby, North Carolina, left the Charlotte Monroe Executive Airport Wednesday morning and flew to Macon, Georgia. There he picked up about 60 COVID-19 specimens from Navicent Health and flew them back to Monroe. A courier, courier picked up the samples from the airport and took them to a lab in Charlotte to be tested. Uh, I love to fly. It's my favorite thing to do. And so any chance to get up in the plane right now is fun. Hamilton said, it just makes me feel good about this organization and helping others. So volunteer angel flight pilots will continue to pick up specimens in Georgia daily and fly them to labs in Charlotte as well as Nashville, Tennessee. Very cool. All right. So 
good news. Some people helping out, the Angel Flight people. A uh, good group of uh, folks using their airplanes for good. And, uh, well, so, you know, we said, you know, uh, Steph is in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. And uh, Dana, you're in the Washington State area, right? Just yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right down the road. <laughs> okay. Uh, so uh, looks like um, some good news over there uh, for yeah, the Boeing plane. Yeah. Go ahead and uh, tell us about that, Dana. It looks like Boeing is going to go ahead and uh, bring back uh, some employees. Uh, getting back to the article here. Uh, they are going to bring back about 27,000 employees back to work. Uh, it said this past Thursday. Um, most will be returning by the end of next week. Uh, it is their first attempt at a large-scale resumption of business activity by U.S. corporations since the coronavirus outbreak forced companies and government officials to shut down most non-essential work. Um, staying away from political stuff there. Uh, Please do. I am. So uh, that's why I skipped that next line. Of Boeing's approximately 660,000 employees worldwide, there are at least 66 current confirmed corona cases which is actually, if you think about that, 160,000, not too bad. Um, and so that's a, a very big uh, uptick for Boeing in the uh, Seattle area, basically summing up what they've uh, talking about here. So yeah. looks good. Excellent. Good to see that. That is good to see. Our own Radio Roger sent us in that, uh, that link to that article from the Seattle area. Um, all right. How about... What do you do when two-thirds of the world's jets aren't flying? What do you do with them? You park them. Say it, Dana. You park them. There. <laughs> At <you>. the airport. <laughs> At the airport and the other airport. places. <laughs> you know, and there's a very big upside to that, by the way. Pardon you me? Know, it, 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 there is a big upside to where they're parking the airplanes. Mm which I think you can get to. I haven't read the article that you're talking about um, yet, but they mean the it, article that I'm talking about from Bloomberg.com. Yeah, that one. Okay. I kind of skimmed that, uh, but I'm not sure it's in this article. So I'll, I'll let you be. go we'll ahead. Think about it, formulate something just brilliant and uh, just uh, go ahead and say whatever it is when you, when it comes to you. Um, oh, I know exactly what it is. I'll let you go through the article and see if you talk about it. All right. Uh, more than 16,000 passenger jets are grounded worldwide. Wow, 16,000. According to industry researcher Sirium, as the coronavirus obliterates travel and puts unprecedented strain on airline finances, finding the right space and conditions for 62% of the world's planes and keeping them airworthy have suddenly become priorities for 2020. Aircraft simply can't be dusted back into action. They need plenty of work attention and attention while in storage, from maintenance of hydraulics and flight control systems to protect against insects and wildlife. Nesting birds can be a problem. Then there's humidity, uh, which can corrode parts and damage interiors. Even when parked on runways, planes are often loaded with fuel to keep them from rocking in the wind and to ensure tanks stay lubricated. It's very important. Nobody thought... This magnitude of preservation would need to be done, said Anand Bashkar, chief executive officer of a new Delhi-based Airworks, a plane repair and maintenance company. Parking space is a problem. There are logistics nightmares, which we're trying to work around. Airlines are hunting for space on the ground at airports or in longer store term storage facilities in arid places like Australia's Outback and the Mojave Desert in the U.S. Uh, at Amsterdam Airport Schiphol, 
Uh, the KLM group has more than 200 aircraft at gates and on a runway arranged according to size and type and ensuring enough space for them to be towed if maintenance is required, according to a post on the company's website. Skipple is packed, KLM community manager, a KLM community manager wrote. <laughs> I'm not going to try to pronounce that name. Not with passengers, unfortunately, but with many aircraft parked on the ramp and even on the runway. Choreography, uh, choreographing the sad and unique sight is quite a parking puzzle, she said, adding that Skipple isn't charging parking fees. Wow, that's pretty amazing, actually. Uh, charges do differ from airport to airport. In India, parking alone can cost $1,000 a day for a large aircraft, according to Mark Martin, founder of Dubai-based Martin Consulting, LLC. For an airline with a fleet of more than 250 jets, even heavily discounted rates mean, may mean expenses of $12.5 million for a six-month grounding without taking into account maintenance costs. Wow, that's expensive. Um, let's see. In its online magazine, IATA said it has asked governments to cut the parking fees, which usually account for less than 2% of airport revenue in a normal year. Under current circumstances, those charges could make or break some airlines, it said. Um, so the article goes on to talk about what the kind of stuff that uh, they do to keep these airplanes relatively ready to come back into service. Um, Abu Dhabi-based Etihad said its engineers are working around the clock maintaining its grounded fleet, a process that includes running engines and powering up aircraft, checking flight controls, covering sensors and engines to protect the inner workings from sand and dust. About 200 staff per shift clean plane cabins in hangars, from replacing seat covers to shampooing carpets, according to a video on the airline's official Twitter account. Um, According to tech ops uh, head Gary Byrne of Etihad, I've never seen anything like this before in my aviation career. Uh, These airplanes are very intricate, complex pieces of machinery. It's not like parking a car. Tires also need attention. Uh, they, uh, let's see, Qantas Air, uh, Airways said all planes from Boeing company 737s to Airbus A380s need to have their wheels rotated by being towed on the tarmac or jacked into the air to be spun. Ooh, that sounds like fun. Wee. Every one to two weeks while hydraulic fluid is put on landing gear. Really? I don't think they, why would you want to put hydraulic fluid on landing gear? Uh, they, uh, they must pressurize the hydraulic fluid systems, uh, to protect against rust. Giant silica moisture absorption sachets. You know those little things you get in your electronics? Little tiny little packets. The thing that says do not eat. Yeah, they're very tasty, by the way. Um, uh, let's see. So they use very, very giant versions of these things. Uh, they put them inside of engines to keep them dry while all external holes on the fuselage are covered to block insects and nesting birds. Anyway, they go on to talk about other things in the article about, you know, trying to find places that are somewhat arid. Uh, so that because humidity, uh, yeah, makes a very stinky airplane. If you seal them all up in a humid environment, um, let's see. Uh, I love this paragraph here. One big challenge with parked planes is brakes, which can fade within 24 hours. According to Finair, Finair, vice president of ground operations, uh, Juka Glader, and uh, I think what they mean is that uh, they actually the b- brake pressures bleed off within 24 hours, not the brakes themselves. I don't think they fade, do they? Anyway, 
Uh, each of its jets require 10 to 12 chocks behind the wheels to keep them in position. With so many aircraft grounded, Finair, fin, how do I, go? I want to keep calling it Finair? Finair. Sounds way fancier. <laughs> Finair. 10 to 12 chocks? Are they parking it on the side of a mountain? Yeah, they're parking them in my apparently. Well, apparently, there's quite a chalk lobby out there. Uh, they ordered yeah, 500 right. wooden Corona chalks from a local carpentry shop who happens well, to be owned by the brother of the president of the Finair. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I, I just yeah. made that part up. Don't sue me, please. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, perhaps some of you have seen a bunch of the British Airways jets uh, parked. Uh, they have 12 Airbus A380 Super Jumbos and Chateauroux, France. How does he, how do you say that? Chateauroux? Chateauroux, yeah. Chateauroux, France for longer storage. Uh, so anyway, they're all over the world parked and um, they're trying to keep them maintained so that uh, when everything starts turning around and we start flying again, uh, we'll have airplanes that are in shape to fly. Dana, have you, do we cover that or do you, did you have you something did. else? Oh, really? You okay. did. Okay. There's one other thing, though. I was reading an interesting article uh, yesterday um, that the uh, domestic market, in uh, specifically in China, uh, has actually come back at a better rate than was expected. Oh, good. So that's that is showing some positive um, positive trends in towards the aviation world that we're all you know doom and gloom at this point. I think international. Uh, I read that the international side is going to going to be very sluggish for a few years uh, likely but uh, domestically speaking and that you know hopefully will translate into most uh, you know most domestic markets throughout the world uh, once this starts to abate a little bit so that's a little bit of the positive side i wanted to throw in there excellent okay the next thing we have in the covid19 folder is some more good news some cool stuff we always enjoy this at the apg uh, the what, what do we call that uh, in um, uh, in air doodling? Or what's the actual sky doodle? Air sky doodle. doodle. Ooh, sky that's doodle. better. That's better. Uh, a couple of them. Uh, we'll put this in the show notes for you to take a look at. Uh, you may have already seen these. One was from a Piper PA twenty eight dash one eighty. What kind of Piper is that? I don't know. Then my numbers. Is that a? Uh, it's only got one engine. Yeah. It is a Piper Warrior. Warrior. A Warrior. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I knew that you and Steph would uh, know. Um, anyway, they went, they launched from somewhere in Canada. Uh, looks like uh, just a little bit to the west of, of um, Toronto and Hamilton and took off from this airport. Um, I don't know what the name of the airport is, but it doesn't matter. And they did a sky doodle and they uh, scrolled out B strong. Actually, it just looks like strong to me, but maybe strong. I'm just like, I just see strong. Yeah. That's, yeah. What, that, that's what I thought. The, 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 the beginning of the S kind of looks like a B because he had to get into the S. So that's where it looks kind of like a B strong. Ah. You could interpret it that way. Oh, it could be like a combination letter. Yeah. Or it could be B strong. No. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that make, would make more sense than strong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it would when you think about it. Not really. Okay. No, um, it's not. 
And then the other one that we have here in our show notes is uh, from flightradar24.com. A Boeing 767 from Iceland Air has drawn a big heart over Reykjavik in Iceland on arrival from China with medical supplies. Well, I'm not a doctor, but it looks like there's a hole in that heart. <laughs> there is a hole. <laughs> what what uh, uh, chamber would that be, uh, Steph? Um, the middle one. <laughs> the, 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 upper, <laughs> the upper middle one. <laughs> the upper middle. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me hit the bell. Yes. I think, I think it would have done better and saved about 10 minutes if it turned right rather than left when he got to that point. But there you go. I guess what he didn't I want to make a sharp turn. <laughs> yeah, he had yeah. some time to kill. Yeah. Could be. Anywho, well, you know, we have to talk about it because that's the biggest thing that's happening here in our world. And that's who we are. Yes. So there you go. We're not going to talk about so it. So we're not going to mention, uh, uh, our sister airlines first quarter results. Oh well, yeah, we could do save that. that for next. Actually, save that for next actually, year. I think, and um, Dana, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's not as bad as the, a uh, couple of other big major U S legacy carriers here in the United States, as far as their losses for the first quarter. So uh, yeah. I think that I the, they were like, seen them. Uh, yeah, they were, they came out like last week and I think there were, from what I remember, I could be wrong. And if I am, please don't tell me because I have very thin skin and it'll hurt my feelings. No, just kidding. Uh, you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but I think that their losses were almost twice as much. I mean, it's big loss. It's like almost half a half a billion in, uh, losses for the first quarter of, um, of this year. Um, but you'll be happy to know that Acme is making money hand over fist. It's crazy. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. I don't know either, but mainly because it's a, it's not a real airline. All right. Um, and we don't have, we real always real focus on a lot of cargo. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We shifted to a full cargo operation. We're making money Overnight. like crazy. We're really good. Yes. All right. Um, Next item in our news folder. Um, <laughs> I'm sure by now everybody has seen the video for this. Um, and uh, if you, oh, uh, Liz, our producer director, wait a minute, she's she's giving me some information via my in-ear monitor in the control room. Yes, I should mention where Rick is. Well, we were expecting to have Rick with us today, but as you know, because he's told us in the last few episodes in training and he just finished and now he's waiting to do his, uh, initial operating experience. And he is, that's what he's doing right now. Uh, he had hoped to be with us today on the show. I think he's just coming back from his first IOE and, but he's not going to be able to make it in time to be on the show with us today. So, um, and he said, um, it is going, uh, I think I'm quoting him swimmingly. So that's a good thing. Well, that's cause he's just come from Hawaii. There's yes, you have to swim a long way, yeah. and it's a uh, it's a good thing uh, as long as you know how to swim. That's very true. Yeah. Yes. All right. So uh, we miss you, Mick. <laughs> Mick. <laughs> Who? <laughs> I have a Mick. pint of what this. Hey, Mick, we drinking. miss you, man. <laughs> it's clearly better than what I'm drinking. <laughs> clearly, look at him. I I don't think that I'm getting enough sleep lately. <laughs> uh. I have concerns. Well, get in line, Steph. Get in line. <laughs> okay. Uh, so getting back to uh, item B. Um, 
and I was just, as I was saying, many of you have probably already seen this video, but uh, a plane lands on a highway uh, in uh, or near Quebec City, I believe. Yes, a medium-sized airplane. Meh. I wouldn't call that a medium-sized airplane. I'd call Terrible that a guide to <laughs> aircraft identification. It's a seven forty-seven. And seven forty-seven touching down on the on the uh, on the highway. It's got to be a medium-sized airplane. What is it? Uh, this is another uh, PA twenty-eight, but this another one's a Cherokee. Cherokee. Yeah. yeah, pepper Cherokee. Okay, so I, that's what I get confused about, guys. PA twenty-eight, the Warriors. Yeah, you I mean, said the Warrior is dash one fifty-one or dash one sixty for the engine size. Uh, Archer is 181 um probably getting this wrong but why General. why do they call why don't cherokees. they make them like different numbers they're like cherokees. oh they're all cherokees they're all it's all based on the year that they were that they were made uh, a and cherokee is pre-warrior so piper cherokee which actually could be a cherokee warrior depending on the year that it was made ah. and it's a different wing type that's all but they're all pa 28 so it's just a matter of differentiation of whether it was a cherokee or a cherokee piper warrior like an MD-80, uh, yeah, 80, 81, 82, 83, DC-9. Yeah. Okay. DC-950, you know, it, it's it's all the same. Thank you very much. That uh, really doesn't help at all. Appreciate it. Um, no, it actually does. So, If it doesn't specify. Uh, I'm, looking, I'm looking at the video right now, and I can tell you right now that it's a Piper Cherokee. It's a Hershey Bar Wing airplane. Wait a minute. It's they a, got it right? Yes, they did. No, not you. They they did. Everybody is saying a PA-28 Cherokee. That's amazing to me that they got it right. Um, they did. Okay. Medium-sized aircraft. Except for medium the medium-sized size size aircraft. <laughs> yeah, Except for kind, that. Yeah. Kind of missed uh, on that one. Okay. Anyway, uh, so now we have established a PA-28 Cherokee landed amidst moving traffic south of Quebec City International Airport Thursday morning with the impressive landing having been caught on tape. The video captured and posted by Facebook... Uh, on Facebook by user Mathieu Leclerc shows the propeller plane landing after suspected mechanical issues rendered the plane unsafe to fly. Although it looked like the engine was still running from what I could tell. Anyway, incredibly, it doesn't seem like many of the drivers made any real attempt to make way for the airplane, making the landing all the more impressive. And uh, Well, if you think about it from the, the driver's point of view, so if the aircraft is on, you know, if it's slow and it's basically flying on short final to land on this highway, um, it's not going to be going a much different speed than the, the car is going at highway speed. So if he's, if the aircraft is directly above them, they mm-hmm. might not be able to see it until he's right in yeah. front of them. And until, until they're right in front of them, start slowing. See, I'm watching a video and, and you see the cars that see the plane start slowing down to hit the brakes and he mm-hmm. touched down between the, uh, the, the, um, uh, the, the vehicles and started slowing down. They started slowing down. So it worked out actually quite well. Uh, also in the video, uh, there is some smoke coming out of the aircraft, um, which is not normal for a, uh, Piston-driven airplane. Oh yeah, oh, that's not good. So it may, it may, he may have had an oil or, or something mm-hmm. going on inside there that he decided to put down. So the thing may have been still sort of running, but not producing much yeah, power. Producing Co- yeah. Correct. And uh, I, you know, again, I've looked at the the, the photograph, uh, Hershey Bar Wing, and also the lack of a third uh, window behind uh, the passenger window towards the back and the, the um, uh, over the cargo bin uh, would an indicator of a Piper Warrior, the newer version. This is a, indeed a Piper Cherokee. So. Excellent. 
Thank you from our Piper representative, Dana Colton. That's me. Uh, may I ask our Piper representative why they put a window over the cargo bin? So you can, I don't know. So you can see <laughs> the cargo. So you can see what's in there. So your dog's in the cargo bin. It was just dog. a redesign, I guess. Better, better visibility is what I get. <laughs> you know, the cargo's got to like see, that. too. Right? Even after the aircraft was on the ground, the cars continued to, like, drive right behind it. <laughs> I was, like, it was, yeah, like, tailgating him. I was okay you got it i'm actually impressed with that i mean it seems to me that if you know most it seems like most people driving down the road if they see like this all of a sudden this shadow come over the top of their car they just like slam their brakes on and then you'd see all kinds of cars plowing in, into each other i'm i'm impressed that they did, did not do that that they just kept on driving well they're canadians aren't they? they're ah, very that's sensible true. people they are very sensible people except for liz <laughs> <laughs> just well, kidding, Liz. Now she's giving me a thumbs down. Yeah. Oh, Liz! Wow, good thing you're not on video. We can't show that. It's a, it, it, a family uh, show. Family show, ladies and, and what, gentlemen. And what's the matter with you Canadians? All you do is you wait for the guy to pull over to the side and you go all go around him, video as you're going around the guy. Nobody stop. I know that was the amazing thing to me. No one got out. Like, hey, well, you guys, you know, all right. Are you, are you, are you okay? I mean, you. Stress, I know the answer. Seems yeah, fine. it's fine. They're they're French Canadians. <laughs> oh, that'll be it. Yeah, and if you ever driven around Paris, you'll understand. Yeah, it's like it's almost like the two cars right behind it, right on its butt, and can't wait for it to get get out of its way so they can get on their way. Really? <laughs> Am I right, Liz? Am I right? <laughs> okay yes okay yeah. uh moving but, on i mean a lot of a lot of chat room uh everyone's very impressed with this uh pilot's uh particular pilot skills and i think yeah you did a nice job well. did did an a, excellent job all right yeah i was just about to say i mean if you look in, and you need to go see this video it's mm-hmm. almost like he's looking for the exact spot to put down in and he just plops it down. He, he, you know, no friend or nothing. He just was like waiting there, waiting there for a little space, and plop. Mm-hmm. Got to take advantage. Yeah, of that any, was really good. Job. Yeah, of any hole. Okay, let's um, move on. Yeah, it's family show, folks. <laughs> family show. <laughs> Didn't come out right. Sorry. Um, <laughs> item C. Uh, Hall of Fame. Yeah, that'll be in the show notes. By the way, ITSM. Uh, item C. Hall of Famer Halliday. Uh, performed stunts and was on drugs before the fatal plane crash. We talked about this when it happened. Um, now I didn't get a chance, Liz, to see the YouTube analysis of this incident. I'm, I'm not even sure who made oh, the I analysis. Did, yeah. Who who did, was it? Was, to- it was very good. Yeah, it was uh, very clear, very logical. Um, didn't okay. uh, try and make too much of everything, and uh, it was very factual. Um, so yeah, okay, I thought it well, was good good watch. I will, along with all the other people that are listening right now, um, go to the show notes and click on that YouTube link and watch that video to see the analysis of this. But in the meantime, I'll read from the Associated Press. Uh, this was published in theguardian.com. Baseball Hall of Famer Roy Halladay had high levels of amphetamines in his system and was performing stunts when he lost control of the plane and nosedived into Tampa Bay in November of 2017, the NTSB reported on Wednesday. And uh, let's see, the maneuvers put loads of nearly two times gravity on the plane, uh, so 2G. An Icon A5, Halliday had purchased a month earlier. On the last maneuver, 
He entered a steep climb and his speed fell to about 85 miles per hour. The propeller-driven plane went into a nosedive and smashed into the water. I would think that 85 would probably be not too slow for a stall, though, would it? I mean, that seems kind yeah, of depends. Uh, if he was depends on loading on the, on the wings. I mean, two Gs. Yeah, it depends on what loading. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the propeller-driven plane went into a nosedive and smashed into the water. The reports say that uh, Halliday, who was 40, died of blunt force trauma and drowning. The report does not give a final reason for the crash. That is expected to be issued soon. Um, interesting tweet here from Roy. Um, right about a week or so before he crashed, I believe, October 31st of 2017. I have some pictures in here. He says, I keep telling my dad flying the Icon A5 low over the water is like flying a fighter jet. His response, I am flying a fighter jet. Apparently his dad uh, owns an F or used to own. I think I, I did a little research on this. I don't think he does anymore. An F five E, I believe a private F five, which is the fighter version of the T 38 or the T 38 is a trainer version of the F five, whichever way you want to look at it, I guess single seat fighter, pretty, pretty nice looking little jet. Um, anyway. Um, so I think we knew when we covered this, um, uh, shortly after it happened that, uh, they had found traces of drugs in his system. And we saw some video uh, where he was maneuvering inappropriately, especially for somebody that doesn't have a lot of training and experience to do that kind of flying. Yeah. I mean, it's not a good combination of anything here. No. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you down here a little bit further in the uh, article, he says he was flying at about 105 mile an hour, just 11 feet above the water before he started doing his maneuvers. At about 700 hours flying total flying time since he got his license in 2013, the report said including 51 hours in the uh, A5 with 14 in the plane that he that crashed. He's flying 11 feet above the water. Yeah, and, pull, and then he starts doing his maneuvers from that type of altitude. Uh, you know, this this aircraft, the A five. If you don't know, it's it's a um, it's a amphibious type aircraft. It is not the most aero, it's aerodynamic in its own right, but it's not super aerodynamic. So it is not really meant to be doing acrobatic maneuvers, as far as I know. And that's yeah. what he's using the airplane for. So um, you know, it's okay to go out and do stalls and steep turns and that type of stuff. But pulling this type of crap, I'm sorry, using that word, I use, could use another word. That's perfect. It's just, it's, it, it's, it's just, it's ludicrous. I'm gonna slap you. All it's right. interesting that uh, the manufacturer uh, initially had a promo video which included stunt pilots flying these aircraft along uh, a lake and trailing their wingtips in the water. Ooh. Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, it was sort of marketed as. Uh, uh, you know, uh, a fun uh, jet, uh, aircraft that you could do all those kind of things with. Uh, and since this accident, they've actually put come out with some uh, recommendations as to how you should maneuver when you're close to the ground. And they're saying things like above 300 feet, you shouldn't have more than, I don't know, exactly the figures, plus minus 20 degrees of pitch and 60 degrees angle of anchor. When you go below 300 feet, that should be 10 degrees of pitch mm -hmm. maximum and only 45 degrees angle of bank. So they're making an effort now to tone down 
their publicity with what they want people to do with this aircraft because a couple of high profile crashes one mm -hmm. involving one of their own the test pilots the, mm -hmm. yeah yeah so you know not good i think it must be a fantastically fun aircraft to fly but uh in an aircraft that's not going very fast uh, you're probably going to get more thrill flying it close to the ground and getting that feeling of speed from the rush of being there. Uh, and really, honestly, uh, you still have to remember it's a damn dangerous thing to do. Uh, and I don't care. You, you wouldn't drive your car, uh, you know, and plow it into something doing 60 or 70 miles an hour. Why would you think an airplane would make, be any safer? So. And the water is not any more forgiving than uh, solid no. yeah. at that speed. Have you ever been water skiing and at a very fast pace. oh yeah bounced a Plenty. long way <laughs> yeah. sure the best concussion i ever had in my life was you, you should later. see the splash i make <laughs> we want to no we want to yeah <laughs> okay i want to see dana riding the banana ah uh, no thank you oh okay. excuse me <laughs> uh family show only, only, if, it, only if it has show. sour cream Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, one you of know. those bananas they tow yeah, behind yeah, the yeah, speed yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know what you're thinking of, Chad. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. Wasn't sure there at first. Well, moving on here. Uh, item D. Uh, now, I, I, I was like to um, peruse various websites. Um, Aviation Herald, great website, by the way. Everybody should, uh, should take a look at that and uh, give Simon money. Uh, Aviation Safety Network, same thing. Great uh, source of information for our show. Uh, another place I like to go is liveatc.net, where they have uh, ATC audio recordings uh, or recordings of ATC and pilots um, having conversations. This one I stumbled upon, and this happened at the ATL, uh, the uh, worldwide headquarters for ACME. Uh, and uh, I thought it was a good um, example of teamwork and how we brothers and sisters in aviation kind of watch out for each other. Southwest 19, 10, runway 26 left, line up the way. 26 left, line up the way, southwest 19. And tower, and this is Endeavor 5029. Uh, we're seeing uh, like probably about, I don't know, six inches to a foot of flame coming out of that southwest number one engine uh, taking runway 26 left. Southwest 19, 10, that's for you to uh, Southwest 1910, copy. Uh, can you tell us what we see again, what you see? I think it was probably when you throttled up to get onto the runway. It was probably about six inches to about a foot of flame coming out of your n number one engine. Alright, uh, uh, Tower Southwest 1910, we'd like to go back to uh, to the ramp. Southwest 1910, Roger, taxi westbound on the runway. And um, we'll have your company behind you uh, advise what he sees as you taxi on the runway. Alright, so... Had a little bit more of the audio, but uh, you get the gist. Uh, when they were advancing their throttles to get onto the runway into position, uh, one of the uh, flights behind the Southwest, or a couple of um, flights behind him, but on the ground, uh, noticed that the um, one of the engines had some flame coming out of it. That's not something you normally see, so they thought they would let them know, and uh, they did the right thing and said, you know what, we need to take this back to the gate have our mechanics take a look at this and see what's going on. So, well done. Absolutely. No idea if they turned and carried straight on or whether they had... <laughs> oh, I don't... You mean after they went back to the gate yeah. and figured out... No, I have no idea. Okay. I don't know. 
Um, I, that's what I would do. I, I would have said, "Hey, thanks," and then just take it. Take, take, <laughs> Throw all up and yeah, take just off. Bigger. Hey, supposed to be fire back there, right? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, I would not have done that. I would have gone back, and it's not normal to see flames coming out of your engine, uh, even if it's only six inches or twelve inches or whatever. Um, it's it's not a normal thing. Uh, I have been in situations where I've been taxiing out and somebody would say, Hey, yeah, the, the, the Delta mad dog, ahead, no, excuse me. The Acme mad dog ahead of us, uh, has, looks like there might be a, one of their panels on the right side and the back is open or something, you know? So it's, it, we, we kind of, ta- we notice those things as we are taxiing out, we'll be looking at other airplanes and seeing if everything looks normal, or maybe it's just because we're so used to, you know, what it's supposed to look like. And then when you see something that is a little bit different, then you kind of go, hmm, maybe they would want to know that something doesn't yeah, look It's right. always better to speak up and say something and then yeah. check it out. And hopefully it's nothing uh, than the other way around. Yep. Absolutely. See something, say something. All right. Item E. Now, how are we doing? How many, uh, how long are we into this uh, episode already? This is to an hour. Oh, it must be about 40 minutes. Okay. Um, hmm. Okay. We'll try to get the, through this one, uh, but there's a lot here. Uh, and I don't remember, I don't think we, did we cover this at all when it happened? This was back in September of 2017. And I don't at, think it's stuck in my memory. It's not familiar, but it doesn't no, mean we didn't. Talk about I, it. I, I don't remember hearing about this at all. Uh, it was an Emirates uh, Airbus Super Jumbo A380-800. Uh, registration Alpha 6 Echo Echo Zulu performing flight 131 from Dubai, United Arab, Arab Emirates to Moscow. Um, that's uh, Controller Vlad. <laughs> Thank you. I had him pronounce some of those uh, things like... Rosaviatse. Um so anyway, they were taking off, or they're going from Dubai to Demodedovo. Moscow, with 422 passengers and 26 crew, was positioning for an approach to Demodedovo. Runway 14 right, about to intercept the localizer about 8 nautical miles before the runway threshold, when the aircraft descended to about 400 feet AGL. Initiated to go around following an enhanced ground proximity warning system warning, an EGPWS, and climbed straight ahead to safe altitude while crossing through the localizer. The aircraft subsequently positioned for another approach to runway 14 right, aligned with the extended extended runway centerline, but did not initiate the final descent and joined the missed approach procedure as a result. The aircraft positioned again for an approach, number three, to runway 14 right and landed without further incident on runway 14 right about 35 minutes after the first go-around. Position and altitude data transmitted by the aircraft's transponder suggest the aircraft was tracking about 190 degrees magnetic when the aircraft initiated the go-around at about 1,000 feet MSL, which is about 400 feet above the ground, eight nautical miles away from the runway threshold. Um, yeah, that uh, so a normal altitude would be uh, on a three to one line um, would be about what twenty four twenty five hundred feet above ground level, and they were at they were about two thousand feet below it and so this uh final i think it 's a final report um, 
was it was just issued. Again, the incident took place in September of 2017. Final report just issued um, a few days ago. And a lot to kind of digest. I don't know if you guys had a chance to read this or not. But uh, apparently the first officer was flying and they were getting vectored for the approach coming in from the north, uh, the northeast. And they kind of, apparently, bottom line is they lost situational awareness of where they were. They were looking at one of their um, instrument indications that showed the glide slope um, in the bottom of the case or, or a couple of dots low. So they thought they were way above the glide slope. Now, if they had been situationally aware, they would have understood that there's no possible way they could have been above the glide slope at that point because uh, the, you know, if you just did a standard three to one kind of calculation, you would understand that, you know, that can't be right. But they kind of got into this, they got kind of uh, tunnel visioned on this and, or at least the co-pilot did. The report kind of makes the captain or commander uh, out to be someone who wasn't really aware at all of what was happening with the airplane and was just trying to communicate with air traffic control and help configure the airplane or, you know, configuring the airplane when the first officer was calling out for these commands, et cetera. Um, and it wasn't until the uh, approach controller or, yeah, I think it was, yeah, it was approach control basically <laughs> said, do not descend further but they said that was a 17-second transmission by the approach controller telling the uh, A380 crew that they were dangerously low and they needed to, needed to stop descent. 17 seconds? How fast were they descending at that point? Yeah, uh, 2,000 feet per minute. Uh, yeah, the first officer was trying to do a capture from above procedure. So he was trying to capture the glide slate from above, which requires uh, setting a fairly high rate of descent and just flying down and away you go. And hopefully it picks up the glide slope. But they obviously passed through it. And I think part of the reason was they were outside of the um, the range of which the ILS was reliable. So, um, you know, they flew straight through the glide slope, continue going down. The captain claims he was uh, um, distracted by radio calls. And then the Russian tried to get through to them. But he, I think he had to make three separate transmissions until they understood what he was trying to tell them. So, you know, I just wonder what the hell was going on on the flight day. Were these guys incredibly fatigued or what? Both pilots. Uh, and they had a lot the of experience. Was there. Yeah. Good job the controller was there, and he eventually managed to make them understand what was happening. And really, and one of the things I think that finally rattled their cage was the fact that the enhanced ground proximity warning system started calling yeah. out terrain, terrain, pull up. I think that saved oh, their lives. Not, yeah. not kidding here. Yeah. Um, folks, basically what this is, and you really need to read this, um, whether you're a professional pilot or not, uh, you, you need to understand that this was possibly, I don't know, have, have any Airbus A380s ever crashed? I don't think Not they have. Not to my knowledge. I don't think so. This, this was very, very close to being a complete disaster because, you know, think about this. An airplane, of the, uh, it doesn't matter how big it is, but less than 400 feet above the ground. And they were, and they were still descending at that point. I mean, when they initiated the go around, I think it, 
descended another 150 feet before they finally started gaining altitude. That was so close to being a major, major, terrible crash. So Absolutely, yeah. They went from, uh, uh, and actually it sounded like they did it on the autopilot rather than manually flying the aircraft away from the ground. They went, they changed the autopilot from minus 2,000 feet a minute to plus two and a half thousand feet a minute because it said they selected vertical speed yeah. setting, which uh, I'm just saying, really? So I know uh, I, I wanted sorry, to ask right? you about that. You know, I know it's an Airbus, but I, I, I'm thinking, I know Nick. No. Nick would not, he would have turned everything off and just started flying the darn airplane. Well, that's what the book says. You yeah. you go full backstick uh, and uh, just let the automatics stop you from stalling. Uh, and obviously, you apply Toga and uh, climb away. Uh, there's no, ever, no suggestion of using the autopilot in a situation like this when. You've got, uh, you know, let's remember, EGPWS is our last chance system. It's the one designed to stop you from flying into the side of a mountain, or in this case, hitting the ground uh, miles before the runway. So when that goes off, there's just no messing about. You take the autothrust out, you take the autopilot out, you park the stick back as hard as you can, go full power and climb away, Uh, you know. Anything else is just ludicrous. I know. I, th- I thought, I don't, what am I not getting about this? But it just seems like so many things were just so obviously yeah. wrong. I mean, and, and they, it was. They mentioned much about, um, I kind of skimmed through this article about what mm-hmm. happened on that second attempt. They just yeah, they just, uh, they didn't um, start descending. <laughs> they did the opposite on this one. They, they actually got the localizer and tracked it inbound. The first, by the way, the first one, this, you know, uh, uh, intercepting the glide slope from above procedure requires that you actually be intercepting the localizer or, or you know, within the, within the angle of, of uh, being in the capture mode or track mode. And apparently they weren't even in that range and they started descending. I'm thinking, what? hello, what are you doing? Um, the second one, yeah, they were tracking the localizer, but for some reason they didn't go down. Maybe they were gun shy from the first, the first incident, but on the third, you know, third time's a charm, right? They, they made it down. But the thing I was thinking, well, it must've been really bad weather. Uh, it was dark. Yeah. What was the weather? Well, let me look at the, um, METARs, um, Cav OK, 15 Hmm. degrees Celsius. Um, Yeah. Uh, the weather was nice. It was, it was nighttime, uh, 18, 1730, 1800 Zulu. I don't know how many hours of, ahead of the, of uh, UTC, um, Moscow is, I would imagine a couple of hours ahead of the, um, of the Z time. But so it's probably, you know, sometime in the evening, it was probably dark It's September. So, uh, you know, the sun is setting a little bit earlier, et cetera, but still, they're in the clear, it's clear skies. There, there's nothing obscuring the ground unless, I don't know, I've never flown into Moscow. Maybe there's not a lot of lights out there or whatever, but how do you not notice <laughs> that you're like 400 feet above the ground uh, that far away from the airport? Is anybody three? Thank you, Liz. She said, uh, Moscow is three hours ahead of UTC. So we're talking nine o'clock at night, clear skies. Uh, hello. Look out the window. Somebody be aware of what's going on. The report basically says that there were several things they could have been looking at to see their distance 
from the runway and their altitude and their, you know, their whole vertical position was just so inappropriate. And I don't know, it's just, um, I'm shaking my head reading this thinking, wow, that could have really been a major disaster. But yeah, I agree. I don't even have anything to add. It's just, uh, you know, you can't get into their heads to know exactly what was going through their minds while they were doing this. And as Nick said, you know, like, why did you leave it on the, on autopilot? Like take control, fly the airplane. Um, there was an incident also in here in our news folder. Um, we talked about this on an earlier show, uh, shortly after it happened, uh, skipping to G, uh, the Aeroflot SU 95 crash at, uh, Moscow. And I don't know if it was, was it the same airport? I'm not sure. Is that their main airport? Um, the, I have to double check here. I don't want to say definitely. Yeah. Anyway, this had two, but they're both fairly big. Okay. Um, so this, this one occurred uh, last year, uh, June of last year. And they just issued the preliminary report regarding this incident. And basically this uh, SU-95, which is the, uh, the new Russian, it was an Aeroflot flight, uh, the uh, Russian-made, um, I, I'd call it like a regional jet, very similar to like a uh, Embraer 175, 195, that, that kind of size airplane. Uh, they took off from the airport, and apparently there was some pretty nasty thunderstormish kind of weather around the airport, and they kind of basically flew the published departure procedure, which basically took them right into the weather. And guess what? Well, didn't work out very well because they got hit by lightning, which forced the airplane into, and it sounds to me like it's somewhat similar to the Airbus um, flight control systems. They went into a, what they called the direct mode and so I'm assuming, I don't know that much about this airplane, I'm assuming that that means that there aren't the normal protections that you would have uh, of the flight control fly-by-wire system um, that you would normally have. And at some point, the uh, autoflight system was disconnected and the pilot in command, the captain, was flying the airplane. But apparently, <laughs> he was basically putting in incredibly aggressive movements to the side stick controller and causing the airplane to very abruptly uh, be maneuvered around. And of course they finally got out of the thunderstorm and they decided to come back to the airport and the uh, approach was not smooth. And when they broke out and they saw the runway, the, uh, captain was making incredibly large movements of the side stick controller, apparently not used to f- manually flying the airplane. Um, I mean, I think at one point I'm, I'm trying to remember the exact quote that the uh, investigatory agency mentioned here in the report that the uh, captain was putting in an input of like 65% of the motion or movement or allowable range of the side stick controller at certain points. And I think what they're, they, they didn't say it explicitly, but they were basically um, saying that it was over controlling the airplane quite uh, aggressively. 
And as they got closer and closer to the runway, they hit very, very hard. The first touchdown, they bounced. And then on the second touchdown, uh, based, based on these control inputs by the captain, landed uh, or hit uh, nose wheel first. And I believe the G loading on that particular touchdown was no less than 5.85 G. That's, oh, my God. Well, that's, just, that's basically a crash. Yes. On the nose? Yes. Here? And then they bounced the third time, and I think that was a 5G touchdown on the third time. It was interesting because they, they designed the main landing gear system to um, to to experience a certain amount of stress before there's some kind of a coupling that that um basically stops working like let's go and says okay that's that's as much force as we can handle and so i'm going to collapse the gear uh the first one uh didn't do it the second one did and that allowed the airplane to settle on the wing box and i don't know if you remember the um the video that we showed of, and let me see if I can share that with yeah, everybody right now. It's a pretty impressive fire as it's sliding off the runway um, for the third time. And let's see here. Let me get over here to this and share screen and we'll find that tab. While you're looking for that, this was at the other airport in Moscow. Okay. Gave oh, okay. Sure. What does it go? Sheremetyevo. Okay. I probably didn't pronounce that right, but. I think Vlad probably recorded that one too, but I don't have that. Sorry, Steph. <laughs> okay. okay. So are you seeing the uh, video that I'm about yes. to hit the play button for? Okay, here we go. So it comes into view. That's already off the runway. Comes sliding to a stop. You can see that the main landing gear is not there anymore. It collapsed because that's the way it was designed. After a certain G loading, it just, the shear pin just gives away. And now we're watching the uh, L, no, the R1 door, the front right door, and now the front left door opening up and the slides inflating and deploying, or deploying and inflating, I guess is the right order. People coming off the airplane. Of course, we talked about it at the time because we saw not quite a, video like this, not, not with the clarity that we're watching right now, uh, where the people were coming off the airplane with their bags, a lot of them. And then, uh, many, many people died that were in the back of the airplane. And you can see why, because it's basically completely engulfed in flame and flames. Um, anyway, um, sad, sad situation, but this is an instance to me where it looked like, I don't, you know, you would think that somebody that's type rated on this airplane has experience with, in their training, how to fly the airplane in various modes, like direct mode, and how you have to be very careful of your inputs, etc. Right, Captain Nick? I mean, don't you do that in the Airbus world and you're in the simulator and they say, okay, you're not in the normal law, you're in the direct law or alternate law, and this is the way the airplane handles and this, these are the things you have to be careful about? Well, absolutely, Jeff. And uh, any any decent uh, training scheme will include training in all the various uh, modes uh, and most emergencies that 
uh, have any kind of complexity to you will often put you in those modes. So, you know, not only do uh, most Airbus guys know how to fly in uh, direct law uh, and even uh, in mechanical mode, um, they will probably be doing so with an engine out uh, and other problems as well to complicate the matter. So uh, the fact that, you know, this... Uh, these, this pilot didn't seem to be able to handle his aircraft in one of these degraded modes. I find very disappointing. I think he, uh, the, after the first bounce, I think he actually put the reverse into full reverse. And this is while they're in, still in the air. And now he's in full reverse. Yeah. So now the reverser doors are opening. And I think the, the second time around when they were like 18 feet above the ground, you know, he decided maybe this is a good time to go around. But the power that wasn't there because the reverser doors were still open. Um, I don't know about you, Nick. I'm sure that's the same as, as us at Acme. Uh, basically the SOP is that if you, if you initiate the reverse thrust, that's it. You're not going around anymore. You have to keep it on the ground. You are, you have basically committed yourself to, you know, the earth and not yeah. well, the air. Well, once you've got the reverses out and the spoilers are deployed, you're really kind of stuck. Uh, you should be assessing your landing prior to that point. And mm-hmm. if you think you've done a bit of a bouncer, then uh, you know before you end up selecting those things, you should be uh, deciding whether to make it a bolt landing and go around, uh, which is often the safest way to deal with a really bad bounce. Um, because you often the second time round is going to be, you know, worse than the first and the first is because you pretty bad if you've mm-hmm. bounced that high. So, uh, you know, it's really the only way to recover the situation is just to hold the attitude, get full power on and try and fly the airplane out of the situation. But, uh, you know, once you've got the reverses and try and change your mind, well, it's just going to take forever <laughs> for anything to happen in the meantime, you know, you're just. Uh, you're just along for the ride. Yeah. So, you know, basically the, the setup of this is that they should never have gone, allowed the airplane to fly into that area of severe weather. So they wouldn't have had the lightning strike. It wouldn't have, you know, gone down or degraded to the direct mode. They wouldn't have been in this situation to begin with. Um, it, there's, there's an indication at the very beginning of this, that the first officer was not very comfortable with the fact that the airplane was flying into this, area i think there was i'm trying to uh, find the quote from the captain that it looks like it's going to be a little bit bumpy or shaky and the first officer says damn it and he goes oh it's it'll it'll be okay or something to the to that effect so he kind of deferred to the captain and his experience but it seems to me based on this report that the captain didn't have a very good grasp of systems knowledge because he, they armed the speed brake spoiler system, ground spoiler system, automated system. Uh, but they said that in direct mode, that is it doesn't work. So, you know, didn't didn't seem to understand that when they touch down, the spoilers are not going to deploy because you're in direct mode. And uh, anyway, so many things went wrong with this, and uh, you know, senseless tragedy. Uh, they could have, they could have landed just fine, and everybody could have walked away from that one if they had done it properly. Yeah, kind of one of those examples of uh, all the Swiss cheese holes yep. lining up in the wrong way. 
Yeah. Again, ITSN, look at this uh, report in the show notes and uh, look at all the detail. You know, we just kind of touched upon a a few of the items in the, uh, in the report, but uh, it's just another one of those head shakers for me. Yeah. I don't know about you, Jeff. I find it hard to excuse the actions of the pilot by saying this was, uh, you know, a Swiss cheese model, mm-hmm. um, because there are some things that are just inexcusable. Right. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not trying to say that. That's no. Uh, I, you I know, didn't mean that as a criticism, yeah, yeah. Steph. But uh, you know, often when things you're not that aware particular of that particular person in that particular situation, it's the wrong yeah, wrong person, the wrong place at the the wrong time. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I tend to think of that model as being things that are unexpected and you're unaware of are lining up when you didn't expect them to. This Blake, um, it really sounds like it was an accident waiting to happen. Yeah, Maybe that may have been. Be he was yeah. like the big giant hole in the Swiss cheese. Yeah. Hardly yeah. any yeah. cheese, mostly air. I want to make sure that we get this video here. Uh, let me see. Now we're watching a a fighter jet, a MiG-25, is it right? No, it's a Sukhoi. A Sukhoi, SU-25. It looks like a frog foot to me, but I'll check. Uh, On the ground. Yeah, let me uh, replay it. Okay, boom. Yes, it is a frog foot. I was right. So Oops. it's on it's on the ground. It's being refueled. And uh, on the left wing, apparently one of the missiles, I don't know how this happens. I've never flown an airplane that has missiles on it, uh, is accidentally launched, fired, whatever you want to call it. it <laughs> this What I'm seeing on the, can you see this um, stop frame? Still. Yeah, still <laughs> with the blue circle. Do you see the uh, fuel truck and the big giant uh, hole? Yes, it's it amazing the truck didn't go up. I, how flames. did that? Ha- how did that happen? How did it not blow up? up? <laughs> That's amazing to me. Okay, let's get to the story. things. Don't always happen like they happen in the movies. <laughs> no, exactly not. right. <laughs> nice try, Tanya. It's a frog foot, not a frog foot. Make it sound like a hot dog. A, fro- <laughs> a, Frankfurt. a frankfurter. <laughs> frankfurter. Um, yeah. So, uh, so I tell you how that happens, Jeff. Okay. Uh, usually, the the firing impulse for one, a weapon like that, if it's a rocket, even if it's a sidewinder, is a simple, uh, you know, twenty four, twelve volt, whatever uh, impulse into the trigger circuit. So, uh, usually, it's pretty simple to fire these things, and. As we've seen in the past, uh, we were plain tail not long ago. It wasn't plain tail, actually. It was a, a little bit for the Patreons mm-hmm. uh, crew log. Uh, uh, you just need a, a loose wiggly, a loose uh, few volts in the aircraft system fed into the wrong wire. Oh, and, and then you bring whoosh, down a B-52. <laughs> exactly right. And uh, you think back to uh, USS Forrestal that uh, had a... a um, unguided missile go off uh, on the deck, which caused just carnage uh, mm. amongst all the aircraft there parked up for a strike in Vietnam. Uh, so, uh, yeah, these things do happen. The first article that we had when we first heard of this story uh, says, uh, and I'm quoting from this article, um, uh, let's see, is it barons.com, I think? Uh, a bomb, quote, accidentally dropped from a 
Chadian. Would you? Is that the way you'd pronounce that? From Chad? Chadian? I guess. I uh, Chadian? I do it before. <laughs> Maybe Chadian. Chad, well, it's in this article a whole bunch, so. Yeah. Pick a, pick a uh, on the home. Uh, so it, it, it accidentally dropped a bomb from a Chadian jet onto the home of a senior army officer Friday, killing four people and winning two near Najumina. Oh, thank you. You know how to pronounce that. Yeah, um, I've, I've spoken to them on the HF often enough. Oh, In Jemina, okay. Then it, further in the article here, it says, the plane was taking off when the bomb broke loose. <laughs> it was um, sitting there, not moving. No, it was being refueled on the ground, and it was a missile, not a bomb, and it was mistakenly fired, and it went right through a fuel tanker and almost hit a C-130, um, and then ended up uh, the true part of this story is that did hit the home of a senior army officer Friday killing, I think about five people, five civilians at least. Um, yes. Oh, I'm very overexposed. Ooh, how embarrassing. Yeah. Put your clothes back. On. Sorry. Didn't mean to expose everybody to that. Let me uh, see what's going on here. Um, I was going to mention something at the next little pause, but the uh, chat room. Oh, wow. First. What happened there? Yes, Carl asked in the uh, chat room, uh, would it have a safety system? Yeah, most of these uh, weapons help me have a minimum arming distance they have to travel before the warhead's armed. Uh, it depends how sophisticated they are. So, yeah, they're quite likely that uh, it wouldn't have, the missile wouldn't have go bang. But the fact is, you've got the rocket motor firing as it goes through the uh, fuel tank. So uh, how the rocket motor didn't ignite fuel, I don't know. Um, interesting. And uh, uh, the other thing is that um, most armed aircraft are uh, given safe headings to be parked on. So the, the idea is that you point the jet into a safe area so that if something does cook off accidentally, it uh, doesn't like a hint a thing of any field in the distance or something. Exactly. Or... That's, that's the ideal. You don't park fuel trucks in front of them, but I guess if you've got a refuel airplane that's got weapons on, then you know, you're a bit stuck. Although generally speaking, I would have had the fuel truck parked behind uh, and run the fuel hoses forwards. But what do I know? Well, the person driving that fuel truck will now from this point on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do that. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> Okay, well, I thought that was an interesting one. You're looking very handsome now. Well, thank you. Yes, I, less exposed. I clo- Yes, I closed the, uh, I was in front of the, the window here, and apparently it was kind of dark and drizzly outside when I started the uh, recording, and now it is brightening up outside, apparently. Okay, uh, let me adjust that. There we go. Okay, I think we... Um, you know what? It was funny. Uh, before we recorded the show, the few days uh, leading up to the show, uh, Liz was um, concerned that we weren't going to have enough to talk about. <laughs> I think I can safely say now that we have so much stuff to talk about in the news and the feedback folder that we're never going to get to everything. So that's Again, just the way it works optimism. out. Yeah. By the way, Pip in the chat room has uh, just been watching the Starlink satellites actually emerge from the uh, rocket and he was oh, able neat. to watch that on his uh, telescope so 
that wow. must have been quite a thing to see. I think I remember uh, or I, I recall seeing some discussion about that on social media about the launch and the satellites and all that stuff. Yeah, for some reason I was thinking they had just released satellites, but maybe that was the event taking place today. Now, yeah. these satellites, they just spell out words. Isn't that right? They, I think they're so. Just, they're yeah. a big advertising thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are they? Yeah, I think for so. SpaceX. Yeah. Kind of like little sparklers. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> they spell SpaceX. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and I thought I would mention quickly, somebody sent us some feedback regarding how do I see the videos that you, you were talking about on your podcast? And I think that this person was listening to our audio podcast. So if, if you're and as we've mentioned before, more than 95% of the people that consume the airline pilot guy show do so with the audio only. And the way that you can see the videos that we're talking about, like the ones that we just watched, uh, you can do that by going over to airlinepilotguy.com, our website. And there you'll see the individual episodes and then you click on that and then you'll see all the show notes. And I, I, I realize now that um, if you're looking at the show notes within Apple's podcasts app or overcast or any of the, any of the others uh, you'll you'll notice that there's a line that says video well the video doesn't show up there so i'm going to have to do something like maybe put a link there to our youtube channel but we record the shows on youtube live streaming and facebook live streaming and that's where you can actually see us recording the show uh, live on video so if that's what you're looking for that's where you go airlinepilotguy.com slash um i'm sorry youtube.com slash airline pilot guy, or I just set it up so that you can go to the airline pilot guy.com slash YouTube, um, site or page on our website. And you can watch the show and see the chat room and all that kind of stuff right there within our website, uh, if you'd like. So trying to make it as easy as possible for that. But if you're just looking for like this video that we just talked about, the, uh, missile being accidentally fired from the Chadian jet, Uh, Just look at the show notes and click on the link and then you'll be able to watch the video. ITSN. There we go. ITSN. All right. If it's okay with you all, I'm going to go ahead and move to this part of the show, which is my favorite. The getting to know you part of the show. Getting to like you, getting to hope you like me too, us too, right? Ah, so, Steph, I know, oh, <laughs> I just happened to catch Steph after taking a big bite of something, so do you want me to move to somebody else? No, they're M&M's. M&M's, oh, did somebody uh, get potty trained? Huh? No, isn't that one of the, <laughs> one of the tools of potty training? I have no idea. Yeah, you, you give your, I don't know your, your, your little uh, toddler person. Oh, that's true. Um, no, this is my, uh, I showed you this, at, I think, before we started actually recording. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, because I've been working from, from home, I, have, uh-huh. I had to bust out my Dilbert. Oh, that has uh, M&M's in it? He's got M&M's in his computer. Mm. And when you press down on the, uh, on the mouse, yeah. he spits out a bunch of M&M's. Oh, see, I heard that noise, but I didn't see the M&M's. Now I get it. I like. Oh, no, I want an M M&M. and M. I know. Yeah, I've no got, kidding. I actually went and bought a whole um, 
box full of M&Ms in little fun size bags. They're all in the freezer behind me. So I can just refill them when I <sighs> run out. I needed a little, I needed a little sugar. I was feeling kind of uh, tired during the news section. I'm sorry about that. What I um, would love right now would, and I even better to me than M&Ms are the uh, Reese's pieces. I think mm. they call them. Oh, I love those too. Oh, those my They're faves. like M&Ms, but they have the like chocolate and peanut butter. Just peanut butter. No. Just awesome. peanut butter? Oh, okay. Reese's Pieces. Yeah, uh, just peanut butter. But there are uh, the uh, Reese's peanut butter pieces. M&Ms. Yeah, Reese's <laughs> yeah. Pieces. Well, uh, right before we started recording, I had worked all morning um, from home. My other, my work uh, desk is over here. So I have my own, uh, I need to shut that window behind me. I'm going to have underexposure uh, no, problems here in a moment. Um, I'll get to that in just a minute. Um, but it actually, having that window open really helps my work uh, set up over here because that's also on video for a lot of those visits as well. Um, so yeah, I was doing that all morning and then I had to run into the office real quick before we started recording today. And I picked up a bunch of tacos on the way home and I scarfed oh, those down right before we started. Taco. And now I have a bunch of tacos. Is that I thought you, taco? I, yeah. These were, these were duck tacos. What? Oh, yeah. so you they're be careful sweet. saying duck taco. No, they were, they were really good. Duck. And, uh, you know, when you consume a bunch of food all like really quickly, then it just kind of makes you leapy. Um, but I'm, I'll get past that. It's it's all good. I'll have some sugar and chocolate here and perk right back up. Very good. Um, yeah. What have I, what have I been up to? Yeah. Not a lot. Um, I thought I was going to have uh, flying uh, stories for you for this, this show. Um, I'm trying to get checked out in a different aircraft. Um, it's actually a little light sport aircraft, um, mm-hmm. but the weather Ooh. was quite windy and breezy last weekend. So um, we didn't do that. Uh, we'll what try kind of light sport aircraft? We want mm, to know. You've heard of the uh, Pipistrel? Yeah. Alpha trainer? Yeah. yeah. Just a launch pad. Mazari yeah. I never say his last name. Right. Uh, yes i want to say mazari because that was my my father-in-law's last name but i think that's not right it's like marazzi or something like that it's a little bit different pronunciation yes so um yeah he's involved with with the pivotal are are you doing the uh the electronic the electric version or the no okay no um but yeah um just something different to do you know Mm -hmm. uh got some extra time on the weekends and why not It'll be fun. Cool. Um, so yeah, hopefully you'll get a nice day here uh, over the weekend and I'll get to check that out and I'll have a report for you, but hasn't happened yet. Um, instead, I ran a bunch of laps around my elementary school parking lot last weekend to do a uh, half marathon um, just by myself. Saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 13.1. Yeah. Mm. So a bunch of the uh, folks that I run with in a running group, uh, we have the same, all the same coach. He kind of organized a virtual race for us and, that was that was good. Main man Micah says Marza. Oh, I can't even Mar-Zara-y? say Marzara. Mazari. That's that's not helpful. Sounds like there's an extra syllable in there. I don't know. Marzari. 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 Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Italian. Good Italian name. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, I yeah, saw that thirteen point one. I was out there doing the same thing, flying, uh, running thirteen point one miles. Solidarity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was supposed to be a lot of running happening this weekend and none of it's happening. So I've talked about that before and I'm not going to because I'm supposed to be in London right now and it's very oh. sad that I am not there. So Plus it's going to be kind of rainy. I think this coming up this weekend, maybe. Um, Here or there? Here? Here. Yeah. So it might not work out this weekend either, but eh, 
just keep rescheduling it one of these days. Okay. Very good. And that's, that's about all I got. I don't think I have anything else. Um, Oh, I will say speaking of Launchpad, um, we, uh, the airplane geeks, uh, recorded their 600th episode on Monday night. Yeah. I missed that. I was flying. Yeah, I know you were. Um, but I was uh, there and um, Micah was there and a whole bunch of people. They had 50 people on a Zoom call to wow. uh, kind of do their, their 600th episode. How'd that work out? Actually really well. Um, most people are pretty good about remembering to stay on mute and they have a little function on Zoom where you can raise your hand if you want to talk. So um, you can just go to you in turn, whoever's hosting. So check it out. I think it was released today and I think they have a lot of stuff on their, um, either on their website or their social media, different pictures and things from the past 600 episodes. I'll do that. We'll put a link in the show notes. If you send me that link, I'll send you the link. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, next in seniority order would be captain Nick. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you? Uh, well, um, I'm nearly there. I would like to think that I was going to (laughs) be able to say it was all over, but, I've got a few uh, lingering issues uh, following uh, some, now five, coming up to six weeks of coughing. So, oh. yeah, it's uh, it's still going on, I'm afraid. it's uh, I'm taking a while to shake it. But uh, as you can see in here, I'm, uh, 90% of the way through and uh, still uh, staying uh, relatively fit. So uh, no real complaints at all. And I'm certainly trying not to hassle the doctors. They've got enough to uh, um, deal with right now. So, uh, you know, nothing much for me. Uh, I, Jilly has been, my wife has been working very hard keeping the house nice and clean. And she asked me to help. And I said, I had to do some work uh, for the show. And she said, yes. that's not work. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yes, it is. <laughs> I need to talk to her. It's very you important do. work. Yeah, I know, I, and I and I thought, well, if I if I don't do it, I'll get my pay dots. So uh, I need to keep <laughs> that <true>. going. <laughs> exactly right, you know. Uh, and I can't afford another reduction. It's just not. On. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, uh, if it weren't for the show, actually, I really would be a bit, at a bit of a loose end because it's great to be able to uh, uh, do things and contribute. And uh, this is keeping me uh, happily busy. Uh, that my wife would not necessarily agree. She'd <laughs> rather have me scrubbing the floors. I think. No, this is much more important, Nick. And Absolutely. everybody is going to be able to experience how important it is when we listen to this in, uh, episode's installment of The Plain Tales, another great one. The Man Who Fell to the Earth or something to yeah, that effect? Yeah, The Man Who Fell to Earth, yeah. And they, I didn't realize, actually. I, I knew that it sound, sounded familiar when I dropped it up. But, of course, I didn't dream it up because someone had thought of it first, uh, particularly David Bowie. So uh, it, it's... Uh, do, you know, do you mean David Bowie? He's one of our APG community members. Ah, there you go. Bowie. Yes, Wait a minute. Thomas, he's still, he died, didn't he? Great company, Bowie. Yeah. Oh, that's booing, I should say. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, not that one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, uh, it was a good one uh, this t- tonight. So I'm looking forward to hearing that, uh, having only done it a few days ago. But, no, basically uh, everything's fine here. And, uh, yeah, the weather is temptingly good, but we're being very good about uh, staying in and uh, not uh, rushing around doing things because, quite honestly, there's not much to do. 
uh, you know, nothing's opens yet, and uh, you know, we're yeah. uh, just all looking after ourselves. Yes, the president, the present, not president, present condition is not good. So. Yeah, the most annoying thing about being back on antibiotics is I've now got two weeks without drinking, so uh, I think I'm going to cut my wrists instead, be get it over and done with. No, don't do I'm it. A, I'm one no. of those people that I always ignore that warning when I take yeah. it. I don't yeah, remember the last time I had, I've had antibiotics, though. Yeah. Take that with a pinch of salt. Yeah, and a shot of rum. Ah, well, it's just... A, uh, I, I tried last time having a, the other sip, but it just does not agree with me. Once, oh, that's not good. Got these antibiotics, and indigestion, and, and such. Yeah, yeah, dreadful. Oh, that's not good. I well, feel, I feel bad for your lovely bride dealing with you not having a drink for two weeks. I know. How, yeah, how I know. do you put up with you? Yeah. I don't know how she'll do. <laughs> She's it, probably going to become a very heavy drinker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, she used to be. Uh, I, I do remember in the old days uh, when she was working and uh, I'd be at a party in the mess and she'd arrive late, so nine o'clock at night, and we'd all be half cut. I used to meet her outside the mess with a, a rum and triple coat just to get her started. Uh, she doesn't drink very much at all nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> she might start again, though. No, it wouldn't be a bad idea. Yes. Lovely. Dana, how have Hi. you been, man? Doing great. I actually went uh, went flying this week. Had oh, good. Three day, and uh, yeah, it was uh, pretty uneventful. One leg the first day to Memphis. Uh, well, that was actually very eventful. Uh, I had a brand new hire, a second trip off OE, uh, oh. in some really nasty weather that was coming through the southeast that spawned a lot of t- tornado activity. Uh, and then once we're airborne, um, had uh, an issue with um, the um, navigation display that decided to go kapoo uh, for her side. Um, so we, we went ahead and ran the procedures and tried to figure out what we could do and check circuit breakers and the whole nine yards and ultimately just did CADC both on one. Resolved the issue for us to get over there. to uh-huh, It was the symbol generator then. Uh, well, actually, no, it was her, um, her, um, control panel. It wasn't a symbol generator, but the control panel was locked out. It just wouldn't, you couldn't oh. change anything. So, okay. I mean, when she, cha- she changed the range once, of course, you know, with our airplane, if you jiggle, uh, the, when you change the range, sometimes it will go to yeah. the, you know, the, uh, did she, mode. did she jiggle it to see if you could get it to behave? Uh, and I'm talking about the display. Tried everything, but even okay. just like the navy and the airports, you know, the little buttons down below. Yeah. She couldn't. She couldn't change that. Couldn't change range. Nothing would work. Well, it's so just the co-pilot anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, I would say okay, keep on going. So no big deal. So it was nasty <laughs> weather, alternates, uh, and uh, dealing with that type of an issue. Then um, there's one other issue with it, but I don't remember. One other thing that happened, it wasn't major, but on a very short flight over to Memphis, it was a very busy flight, especially having that I had a, 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 a relatively green first officer. Um, but truth be told, uh, we're going green, we're going green, we're going to take care of the earth, we're going green. I'm sorry, you said green? Yeah, that's what happens when you say green. 
New, wow. newly minted. Okay. So, I didn't know we, yeah. we. I didn't realize we still had new hires, but I guess we did. We do. Uh, yeah, and among the last class, and, and you know what? You would think that with what's going on in the world and the like, very high likelihood that this individual will be more than likely uh, temporarily displaced after all this dust settles is my guess. I mean, anything's a guess right now. Um, Her attitude was so refreshing. She has such a great uh, personality and attitude in a hell of a pilot. So uh, all around great, great trip to fly with the, with the, her and she, you know, her name was Sydney and uh, just did a, a marvelous job. She's a, had actually heard of our podcast. What? Um, I get, yeah, believe it or not. Wow. So uh, I don't know if she's going to listen to this episode or not, but uh, well, if, if she I, is listening, hey, Sydney. Hi, Sydney. Hey, Sydney. Um, but uh, over, oh Hi, my Sydney. God. I said Sydney and Siri popped up. What can I help you with? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Siri. Not uh, Siri. So anyways. Hey, Siri. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, she can't hear you. Uh, other than that, uh, you know, it was a deadhead back to Atlanta, sit for five and a half hours, so hopped in the vehicle and drove home for a few hours and ironically almost overslept driving back <laughs> to the airport. Just woke up in time to make a quick dinner and drive back and then fly to Sarasota um, and uh, had a short overnight there. And I said hello to our friend Dean. Uh, down and let him know that I was coming in. So he kind of uh, looked out for the airplane and uh, then left and did a Sarasota to Atlanta, Atlanta to Philly churn. And of course, what happens on the absolute last leg? Always something comes up. So a thunderstorm came up over the airport about the same time we're supposed to close the door so that we can go and be on time heading back. uh, And they shut down the ramp. So we were a little bit delayed due to that. Other than that, uh, fantastic trip. Great to be out there flying. Really, 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 really scary because it's just so quiet. The frequencies, you're so used to hearing uh, so much uh, uh, radio traffic, especially coming down, uh, you know, from, from the northeast down to towards the Atlanta. We all follow pretty much the same routing, and uh, we were the only aircraft out there. It was, it was pretty yeah, it is. So, it's like flying at two or three o'clock in the morning, but yeah, you're flying, it, it, you know, like in the middle of the day, middle yeah. of the day, yeah. and you know, direct here, go fast, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and a lot of that brings up some interesting challenges for us because the no, non-normal operations. We, you know, I've been flying in and out of Atlanta uh, not quite as long as you have, Jeff, but I've been doing it for uh, close to nineteen years now, uh, be it with Acme and Acme Junior. And, uh, it is, uh, it, you know, the operations are just completely different, different freak. It's even just uh, throwing it, a it, lot of people off because you're off. used to the certain pace of operations, especially at the world's busiest airport. And then when you go in there and it's like, you're going to an airport that has a couple of flights that come in and take off per day. Um, you're, you're in all those cues that you're used to hearing aren't there anymore. And we're, we're having people, uh, you know, in, in greater numbers landing without um, landing clearance and that kind of thing, because they're just, it's just a lot of challenges that we didn't think we'd ever have to, you know, think and, about. And, and not only from, from the, the cockpit side of things, but also for the air traffic control side yeah. of things. Things are, are a lot different, different frequencies. You get controllers that are not used to operating 
especially in Atlanta, I mean, they're operating all the arrivals on with one person, right? Yeah. On both on all sides. So it you know the the radar for me, my my internal radar is much higher, and I try to maintain a much higher vigilance to make sure that you know I'm I'm hitting all of those targets yeah. that would that we normally have our normal cues to. You'd think it would be a lot easier, but it actually it's more challenging for us because we're used to that high volume of traffic, kind of high radio, um, you know, frequency chatter and that kind of thing. And now it's just like silence and getting close in approaches. Perfect for me. Take me back to my uh, private pilot training days where I was out at a little uh, kind of rural area airport and didn't hear anything on the radio. Right. Yeah, right at home. Right at home. And and one of the most dangerous uh, things that we do, Dr. Steph, is we do visual approaches. Mm -hmm. And so when you're told uh, 20 miles out from a place like Philadelphia, and you're not, you're basically on a a dog leg downwind to the final, you know, not even, not even pointing at the final approach fix, but kind of like at a 45 degree to the final approach fix. And they clear you for visual. You, it's not something that you're used to. So you start thinking, all right, what altitude should I be at? How should I intercept that? How do I vector myself around, make sure I'm, I get stabilized at least five months, you know, have the five month cross of the fixed five miles, you know, prior to the, fi- final, uh, the prior, prior to the runway and make sure I get everything and get stay in the normal zone and, you know, worked out well, but you know, there's a lot of thinking going on. Yeah, and uh, it's it it is it's it's challenging, especially going someplace like Philadelphia. Yeah, you never get that type of clearance ever. No, and I don't know if you guys saw this. I know I I I, I don't see it in, in our notes, but there was a uh, a a gentleman that lives up in the northeast. Uh, it came in as an email. I watched the video. I don't know if you saw the YouTube video um, where he was able to take his experimental aircraft it's in the feedback folder. It is. Okay. Then I yeah. will shut up. I didn't see it. There. <laughs> don't I'm don't sorry. blow it. But nice teaser. Uh, thank you. <laughs> nice teaser. So I'm just going to leave it at that. But anyways, okay. the uh, that's, you know, it's great talking about Jeff because, you know, that that that's a big threat to us out there. It is. Is, is how, how slow things actually are, which people prefer it uh, that do general aviation. But we as professional airline pilots, uh, you know, we're used to the, the much more faster pace of things faster pace and busier ops and that kind of thing um correct yeah and the the other thing uh, that has been a, a a major threat for us is that we have this system you know the tcas traffic collision avoidance system uh where mm-hmm. it this thing tries to understand what's happening doesn't understand what clearances have been um issued to the airplanes and coming into airports busy airports like atlanta uh, you may only have 1,000 feet of separation for the people coming in on the arrival and you departing via the departure. And at normal weights, when we have a lot of passengers on our airplanes, the rate of climb and rate of descent, that kind of thing, is much lower. But now, we, you know, you have five or ten passengers on the airplane, you're basically empty. And these airplanes are really performing a lot better than you're used to and the climb it, rates it, are super high. And so that's something we have to think about. And so there's somebody coming in on the arrival and I briefed, you know, my, my flight, uh, flight attendant, my flight, I, I briefed my flight attendant. No, my first officer. Congratulations. Um, and it starts with an F, you know, 
give me a little bit of credit. Um, <laughs> so that, you know, if, if there is a situation where somebody's coming in and we're only going to have a thousand feet separation, I'm going to go ahead and go to, I'm going to take it out of the vertical, uh, the VNAV mode and go to ver- vertical speed to lower my descent rate. So we don't accidentally, you know, trigger a uh, resolution advisory for people. Sure. So, you know, so one of those, you know, so those, that, that kind of thing that you never really have ever thought about or considered before. So, and, and also briefing the flight tents of such, you know, that we're going to be climbing at a much higher uh, rate of climb or mm-hmm. descending like today. Uh, no, today, no, that was yesterday. Yesterday, coming back from Philadelphia, we stayed at flight level three, six, zero, until we were exactly on glide path across uh, Aussie at 12 and 250. That never happens. So we had an excessively excessively high descent rate, a little bit more than we, you know, what the flight tents would be used to. I even noticed it in my ears, right? So uh, it is, it, but, you know, ultimately for cost savings, that's the best way to fly the aircraft is just idle path descent the whole way down. Yeah, I never do that. <laughs> I always go a lot before it tells me to because I want to make sure that we don't have a super steep descent. Yeah, and it, I mean it wasn't terrible. And I and I said, you know, I, I was teaching my my first officer was giving us some pointers, and I said, you know, if you want to cross Aussie and not have to worry about the aircraft because she's trying to put her head around the VNAV mm-hmm. and not have the aircraft trying to slow down and trying to go down and getting it Aussie at twelve and two fifty, which we know. Our airplane would never do five miles on this side of Aussie, twelve two fifty, and it worked out marvelous. And mm-hmm. um, just it worked out great. And you're talking about the high climb rate. Now, you know, I told Dispatcher Mike, I was talking with him a little bit, uh, that we're heading down to Sarasota, and he asked me the flight number. I told him, so he watched and uh, took a video of us going over his house. And he said, "You cross over our house at about fifteen thousand feet." I said, "I think he said." Uh, which is way higher than we would normally cross uh, on the departure coming out of Atlanta. So it just shows you the climb rate is yeah. much, much. But there is a side note to that. Yes, we do have a lot lighter loads, but it is actually kind of fun flying the aircraft with such great performance. It is, but you also have to realize that you have to really work a lot harder to, um, flying smoothly when the airplane's that light. That's true. And I've been deadheading a lot, and not everybody is quite up to speed on that. And uh, taking notes uh, yeah. in the back. <laughs> Just trying to be nice about it, but uh, you know, you have to you have to realize that uh, when you're light, when you put in aileron inputs, that they're going to the airplane's going to behave a little bit differently. Yeah, we exactly. We. My turn. Your turn. All right. So I'm on a three-day trip. I just deadheaded today uh, from Atlanta to San Antonio. I'm in San Antonio right now. Tomorrow morning, I get to fly to Atlanta. We have another one of those potentially um, severe weather situations going on. And so I'm going to have to navigate through all that tomorrow. Hopefully, I'll be able to skirt south of that system uh, we're leaving pretty early in the morning and get to Atlanta. And then after that, I don't care because I'm not at the controls. I'm just, I'm just uh, in the back deadheading up to Philadelphia, but 
Um, so that, that'll be an interesting situation tomorrow, um, navigating the weather situation. But, uh, for me, uh, since the last episode ended up doing a, um, a trip on Monday, Tuesday, just an overnight, uh, flew one leg up to Pittsburgh and then, uh, deadheaded back on Tuesday, yesterday and, uh, nice and easy, easy peasy. Um, yeah, that all I can think of regarding that. Uh, just wanted to mention a couple of things here in, um, the intro folder. Um, wonderful thing. Uh, part of our wonderful aviation podcasting community is the plane safety podcast and PIP and captain Al and many others in aviation podcasting world, uh, ended up uh, doing a pub quiz, but uh, it was Pip's Plane Safety Podcast. He is the one that um, basically ran the thing. Our own Captain Nick had a segment of the um, of the pub quiz. The uh, his was difficult. Yeah, it was very interesting though. I've never seen anything like that. It was more mostly a, a an oral kind of uh, experience. <laughs> yeah, I'm good at oral. A U R A L, not O R A L. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, something entirely different. It was actually it was very good, and and thanks to the BT UK guys, of course, because Matt was there actually. Yes, doing Matt. All the is brilliant stuff behind the scenes. Yes, yes. he is a, a brilliant technician, he, an uh, IT guy, and I'm trying to find brilliant. Here we go. Brilliant. And uh, anyway, it was very, very good. I wasn't there for the the whole thing live because I was uh, flying, but I was able to watch the replay of it. And I'll put the link to that in the show notes. You can um, take part in the um, in the quiz. Very, very fun. And I learned several things uh, on the quiz. I learned that if I'm not there, people are not very very nice to me. Um, if you're not there to defend yourself. I know. I was like, wow. You know, I, thought, I thought I had friends, but apparently not. No, um, no, we don't. We don't like you. I know. It's like, okay, I get it. I see where you're coming from. Um, I'll have to go back and listen because I don't even remember what was said about you. <laughs> I was watching go, damn, that's, that's rude. Okay. Anyway, um, but it was a lot of fun. I'm just kidding. Most everybody was really, really nice. Except for Mike Carroll. Okay. Um, uh, what, one of the... Uh, <laughs> yeah, and he wants me to help him with his pub quiz on this Friday. Yeah. What, what's, what's the name of his show? Flying in Life. Yeah, that's it. Um, so, you know, check it out. Follow us on the social medias. Um, one of the uh, questions was regarding... Um, was it your segment... Uh, or who who did the music segment? Was that Pip? No, Pip oh, that, did that. Yeah, that was Pip's. A lot of good stuff there, and a lot of references to the APG show, which I really, really appreciate. Well, it wasn't good, really, because nothing was played at the right speed or forwards. Yeah, he did everything backwards, backwards which is very, very and... difficult. Well, that would have made it fairly easy. <laughs> well, you know, Steph did pretty well with that segment, but I was like, huh. I don't, I don't get this at all. But one of the uh, pieces that I did recognize was one that we get to um, play. Uh, I play as much as I can on this show. You can always go hey! That was featured on the show. And uh, that, by the way, is Ken Dravis. Ken Dravis Music. I'm going to have this in the show notes. 
and the recording studio that he that he owns and does recordings for is Aspen Leaf Recording Studio in Grand Junction, Colorado. So, and he's yeah, also an that airline. That was the part pilot. of the question that stumped all of us because we all, most of us, got the song. We could recognize it, but then the second part of the question was, who wrote and sang it? And we we're like, and I was, oh. I was like doing this after the fact, but I was going, I know this because you know I just know this. Um, so uh, that was a lot of fun. And the other thing, let's see if I can find the uh, thing here. Captain. Incoming message. Captain, incoming message. And many of you out there that listen to the show know that that's Michael Dorn, uh, Star Trek, The Next Generation. Uh, he plays no, a, I called him Michael Dork. No, it's Dorn no. with an Dorn. N. And uh, Star Trek, Next Generation. He's a Klingon character and Lieutenant Worf. And then I guess later on in the series, Lieutenant Commander Worf. Is that, am I pronouncing that correctly? W O R F. I don't. Know. I don't speak Klingon. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, turns out that he is a um, he he is a pilot himself. Has a uh, several airplanes, including a was it a T thirty three? I think um, mm. that he calls his uh, his uh, what do they call it? A star star something. I don't know. Um, I'm just watching you dig holes. It's great uh, fun. <laughs> I, I knew it like yesterday. I knew the name of what uh-huh. he calls the thing, the star. What do you call uh, the, the, his, his enterprise, a star. I don't know. Starship. Starship. That's it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for Talk letting one. me hang on the vine. Is it the shooting star? Die. Or maybe. Sh- well, it is a shooting star actually, a T-33, yeah. but it's his star. He calls it his starship. Anyway, very cool. He's uh and and but I, I looked at the Wikipedia page for Michael Dorn and he I think he his character and he and he, he the actor has been on more episodes of Star Trek and all the various versions of Star Trek than any other actor. So pretty impressive. So wow. Anyway, that was also part of the uh, pub quiz. So make sure that you uh, check out the show notes and. Uh, Click on the uh, the YouTube recording of this pub quiz. It was a lot of fun. All right. Guess what? It's time now for the best part of the show, which is, of course, everybody knows, the plain tale. And this episode is called The Man Who Fell to Earth. Five. The Old Pilot's Plain Tales The Man Who Fell to Earth Fifty-three years ago, a man fell to Earth. He came from space, having survived the appallingly hostile conditions that exist there. Apart from the hard vacuum, the electromagnetic radiation, the intense cold, the cosmic rays and other damaging particles that exist there, to get into orbit a spacecraft must be accelerated to a speed of around 17,000 miles per hour, that's 28,000 kilometers per hour, and then slowed down again when it's time to come home. A retired KGB officer, Benjamin Arasev, 
claims that the man died cursing the people who put him inside his failing spacecraft, one that had been hurriedly launched for no greater reason than to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the communist revolution. He overcame numerous difficulties on his journey to 130 miles, 210 kilometers above the earth, and had completed nearly 99% of his descent when the final failure of his doomed capsule doomed him as well. The launch of Soyuz 1 came 10 years after the Soviet Union's entry into the space race with the R-7 intercontinental ballistic missile rocket. Later that year, 1957, the world was shocked to hear the bleeps from Sputnik 1, the world's first artificial satellite, as it orbited the Earth. A few months on, and a stray dog from the streets of Moscow would be the first animal sent into space. Leica was fired into space on a one-way journey, since there was no way to bring her crude capsule back. She didn't live long, and perished from overheating and carbon dioxide poisoning, and the little mongrel was the first to give her life in the fight to conquer space. Ten years later, the first human gave his life during a space flight. By that time, successful manned missions by both the Soviets and the Americans were becoming reasonably common. Yuri Gagarin, shortly followed by Alan Shepard, were the first. Larger two-crew capsules were launched, then the first woman in space and the first satellite to leave Earth's orbit, the first geostationary orbit, the first spacewalk and the first docking of a spacecraft. Achievements were coming thick and fast and all driven at a race pace dictated by the competition between the two superpowers. Then came the mission of Vladimir Komarov aboard Soyuz 1. Komarov, a highly qualified engineer, fighter pilot and test pilot, had been the backup cosmonaut for several previous missions but finally got his chance when he commanded Voskhod 1 in 1964. This was the seventh Soviet crewed mission and due to limitations of weight and size the occupants flew without spacesuits. They even had to diet so they could fit into the tiny capsule, which was basically the same as the single-seat spacecraft that Gagarin had used on the first manned space flight. Komarov's flight was successful, but was nicknamed the Circus because of the confused crew selection, the lack of spacesuits, the dieting needed, the absence of a launch escape system, meaning certain death if the boosters failed, and the unexpected change of Soviet premier from Khrushchev to Brezhnev that occurred whilst the capsule was in orbit. The circus mission, though, went smoothly when compared with Komarov's next flight on Soyuz 1. Vladimir Komarov and Soviet hero Yuri Gagarin, the first human to reach outer space, were close friends, and Gagarin was down as the backup cosmonaut for the flight. It was supposed to be a spectacular achievement, involving the launch of Soyuz 1, followed the next day by Soyuz 2, with a crew of two. 
the spacecraft were to link up in orbit, and then Komarov would spacewalk across to the other craft and change places with a cosmonaut there, who would move over to the Soyuz 1 capsule and return to Earth in it. Apparently, before the Soyuz mission, Gagarin and a team of senior technicians inspected the spacecraft and found a long list of structural problems, most of which were considered serious. He composed a ten-page memo detailing the dangers and recommending that the mission be postponed. He gave this to his best friend in the KGB, Venyamin Rasev, to forward to Moscow. Gagarin raised doubts about the design, manufacture and safety of the spacecraft and he asked Premier Brezhnev to address the lack of response to his and other cosmonauts' concerns. Those who saw the memo lost their jobs, were demoted or posted far away. Rasayev himself was reduced in rank and when he asked why Komarov didn't just refuse the mission... Komarov answered that if he didn't make this flight, they'd just send the backup pilot, his friend Gagarin, instead. Komarov and Gagarin weren't alone in their concerns, and on launch day, April the 23rd, 1967, a Russian journalist, Yaroslav Golovanov, reported that Gagarin showed up at the launch site and demanded to be put onto the mission. He failed. Golovanov noted this strange behaviour and afterwards realised that Gagarin might be trying to get onto the flight to save his friend. Despite three previous failures of Soyuz rockets on unmanned missions and the concern shown by Gagarin himself, political pressure ensured that the launch went ahead and at first things seemed to be going well. Unlike earlier explosions on the launch pad, the rocket successfully pushed the capsule into orbit, but it was there, 130 miles above the Earth, that things began to fail. One of the solar panels refused to unfold and stayed wrapped around the capsule, leading to a dramatic reduction in available power. This had several knock-on consequences, such as power for manoeuvring and docking. Komarov even tried kicking the side of the capsule in an attempt to free it, but to no avail. He used the reaction control jets to bring his only working solar panel into sunlight, but the spacecraft continually span out of position. All the while, communication with his controllers on the ground was patchy, to say the least. Radio antennas attached to the failed solar panel hadn't deployed, and the surface of the SunStar navigation sensor had either been contaminated or was blocked by the undeployed solar panel. Whatever, it was useless. Without this essential piece of hardware, Soyuz 1 couldn't maintain accurate attitude control for some crucial manoeuvres, including spin stabilisation or engine firing. In turn, without the stabilisation, Komarov couldn't effectively expose his only solar panel to the sun to recharge his batteries. The Soyuz 1 mission was effectively a failure and finally the decision was made to cancel the Soyuz 2 launch due to thunderstorms. In addition to cutting the power supply, the unopened solar panel created an asymmetry 
in the mass of the spacecraft, and Komarov was required to move from the commander's central position to the left seat in an attempt to rebalance the spacecraft. The flight managers in Crimea realised that preparations for landing should start as soon as possible, while the spacecraft still had power in its batteries. However, they were overruled by the State Commission, which advised Komarov to repeat attempts to establish spin stabilisation of the spacecraft manually. Komarov made unsuccessful attempts, and in doing so, overused the fuel in one of his two control systems. Eventually, all agreed that the spacecraft should be brought home on the 17th orbit. At the appointed time, Soyuz-1 initiated the re-entry sequence. The main engine was supposed to fire for 146 seconds, but nothing happened. Ballistics reports pouring in indicated that Soyuz-1's orbital parameters hadn't changed. Once communication with Komarov was re-established, the cosmonaut reported that the ion orientation system appeared to have worked fine, but evidently, as the ship had crossed the equator, it flown into an ion pocket in the Earth's shadow, where the concentration of the ions was less than the sensors could detect. The ship's control system issued a command to prohibit the firing of the main retro engine. Immediately after the failure of the ionic system, Komarov tried another strategy, which was highly complicated, untested on any mission, and certainly one Komarov had never trained for. First, as Soyuz-1 flew over the daylight side of the Earth, Komarov started flying the capsule manually, using the Earth's horizon to maintain attitude. Then, about 35 minutes later, as the ship entered shadow, he transferred attitude control to the ship's internal gyroscopes, and after emerging from the shadow, he checked the attitude again. If necessary, he would make final adjustments and then fire the main engine to deorbit. The first attempt failed, because when Komarov turned on the manual control system, the orientation engines didn't work. There appeared to be no fuel consumption. With battery power falling dangerously low, he was told that on the 19th orbit they would try a ballistic re-entry and not a guided one. Using manual orientation, Komarov aligned the Soyuz and fired the engine. Afterwards, in a calm tone, he reported that the engine fired for the required 146 seconds and all was normal. Soyuz 1 slowed and arced downwards into the upper atmosphere, and before the friction and heat of re-entry disrupted communications, Komarov made his final radio calls to tell those below that he felt excellent and everything was in order. Thank you to everyone, he said. Despite all claim to the contrary, I believe that these calm words were indeed the last to be heard from the cosmonaut. Data indicated that the capsule was on a proper trajectory and that despite the many problems he encountered during his short flight, Vladimir Komarov was on his way home. Near the landing site, an AN-12 search aircraft reported seeing the Soyuz capsule in the air and then the rescue helicopter spotted burning on the ground. 
Later it would be established that as the capsule tumbled through the atmosphere, its drogue chutes deployed, but then they failed to pull out the main parachute from its container. The backup reserve parachute was deployed, but it became entangled with the drogue chute, turning the spacecraft into an unstoppable projectile. The capsule hit the ground at a tremendous speed, flattening the six-foot, two-metre-tall descent module to half its height, and caused the solid-fuel rockets at the base of the Soyuz to explode. The fire destroyed anything that had survived the impact, leaving only molten wreckage. Komarov was the first human to perish during a spaceflight. The exploration of space has been one of man's greatest accomplishments, and its testament to the skill of the technicians, engineers, scientists and pilots on both sides of the Iron Curtain that it was achieved with such success. To put it into perspective, In 1967, the same year as this accident, around 79 aircrew in the US military and 62 in the Royal Air Force died in aircraft accidents, flying in an environment that we know well. The death of Vladimir Komarov was, of course, deeply felt in the Soviet Union, but his bravery was also honoured by American astronauts. Apollo 15 left a plaque and a tiny figure of an astronaut on the moon to honour all those killed whilst reaching for the stars, including Komarov. And the crew of Apollo 11 left medals honouring both Komarov and Gagarin. Of course, the pinnacle of the Cold War space race was the moment Apollo 11 landed on the surface of the moon. With only one way to return and rendezvous with their command module, failure was always a possibility. Had the lunar module failed to launch from the surface, death for the two stranded astronauts would have been inevitable. And if such an event occurred, the President had a speech prepared that echoed a poem by Rupert Brooke to give to the waiting world. Fate has ordained that the men who went to the moon to explore in peace will stay on the moon to rest in peace. These brave men, Neil Armstrong and Edwin Aldrin, know that there is no hope for their recovery. But they also know that there is hope for mankind in their sacrifice. These two men are laying down their lives in mankind's most noble goal, the search for truth and understanding. They will be mourned by their families and friends. They will be mourned by their nation. They will be mourned by the people of the world. They will be mourned by a Mother Earth that dared send two of her sons into the unknown. In their exploration, they stirred the people of the world to feel as one. In their sacrifice, they bind more tightly the brotherhood of man. In ancient days, men looked at stars and saw their heroes in the constellations. 
In modern times, we do much the same, but our heroes are epic men of flesh and blood. Others will follow and surely find their way home. Man's search will not be denied, but these men were the first and they will remain the foremost in our hearts. For every human being who looks up at the moon in the nights to come will know that there is some corner of another world that is forever mankind. My enormous thanks to voiceover artist Greg Willits for his poignant reading of President Nixon's speech, thankfully never used. You can find Greg at gregwillits.com. And at Greg's house, not too far away from where I live. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose that would be the other logical place to find him. Yes, that's where I would look for him. Uh, awesome. Wow. That was just another amazing plain tale. You keep just outdoing yourself. Well, thank you. But I, without the help of uh, guys like Greg, uh, it would be very hard, but, uh, he did a marvelous job, uh, of reading. Uh, and actually it sent when I first heard it and it's still now sends a bit of a shiver down my spine as I realized that the president would have read this while these guys were still alive. I know they'd be, they were just like stuck on the moon. Yeah. And there's no way to get anything nope. up there to save them. No, nope, they weren't going to live very long. And, uh, they had a kind of euphemism for, um, uh, them committing, uh, suicide or euthanizing themselves while they're on there. And I think they just oh. call it, they were going to shut down communications. And that was going to be the kind of code word that they were going to uh, stop public broadcasting from the moon. And uh, I guess these guys were just going to do whatever they were going to do. It never but dawned it, it on me. Really that, does. It never dawned on me that they would have. I mean, it makes sense that they would have some kind of a an idea or plan if something like that happened. Yeah, it was. Uh, I found that speech in the you know uh, memoirs of one of Dixon's speechwriters. Uh, who penned it uh, just mm-hmm. in case, as they did. Wow. Very powerful. And, you know, he played such a an amazing role in the uh, the race for humans to space. And I guess it was inevitable that someone would have to be the first person to lose their life. That's right. The, of course, the accident uh, on Apollo 1 happened a little earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was the first death that occurred actually on a mission. And, mm-hmm. uh, of course, uh, if I'm right, looking at my watch, it is going to be a 53 years tomorrow. So, wow. uh, yeah, good timing. Wow. Very good timing. Well, I guess we could say that likely it was a very quick death. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. But, uh, uh, you know, and he, wouldn't have had even much time to realize really because, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and he's done such a damn good job getting through all the other failures yeah. to finally or- orientate the spaceship, slow it down and get it to the point. And, uh, I think it was a barometric switch, uh, in the, uh, main parachute that caused the failure of the main chute. Uh, then Steph knows all about what happens if you don't manage to get rid of your, 
uh, main chute and you try yeah. and use secondary chute. Well, you don't want them to get entangled, and that's certainly what sounds like what, what happened here. Yep. Uh, and two-out parachute is not a great situation, but um, a little bit different in this case than what might happen with a parachutist with two parachutes out at the same time. Yeah, there, there were some pretty gruesome pictures. They recovered what was left of his remains. I heard he requested um, an open casket uh, funeral. Yep, that's exactly right. And yeah. all that's left is a wow. is a charred mess, uh, you know, a couple of feet long and six inches high, really. It's, there's really just nothing left, certainly nothing that's even recognizable. I'm surprised they were able to find anything, you know, with the explosion of the solid rocket boosters. Yeah. And everything else, uh, and just the sheer G-force impact. Wow. Well, thank you, Captain Nick, for yeah. I, I don't often do space no. stuff because it's yeah. outside my field, but uh, yeah. Uh, and the Russian stuff is quite hard to uh, fathom uh, from what information you can glean. It's very hard to get an English translation. But uh, uh, what annoyed me was, of course, that this bloke. Uh, had uh, written this book, and I'm not even going to mention his name, uh, but he was the one that said he died uh, uh, screaming and cursing uh, the Soviet Union. And I don't believe that was true at all. And I think it's just... Yeah, how would he know that? Yeah, exactly right, because there was no radio communications, and even if there had been a tape recorder on board, it would have been destroyed. Uh, so there It is doesn't no seem like to... that would be the kind of thing that this man would have done. I, I don't think so either. All right. Let's move on to our feedback item. Well, we're going to start. Oh, wait. We haven't even formally gotten into the feedback yeah, section. Wolf. So here we go. Captain, incoming message. There he is. Let's start with item four because we have Dana with us at the moment. And. Uh, last episode, we had talked about uh, Patrick uh, Hosford's, um, you know, remember the theremin music and the, uh, it was actually, it turns out that that was the title of the episode, Whale Wake, Caution. And he talked about uh, the path that he was on and et cetera. And he had this, he's a wonderful photographer and he had that picture of the bird. And I, I was thinking, you know, I, to me, it looks like an eagle. Uh, so we weren't sure. So I, uh, contacted Patrick and said, um, so what was that? We were having a discussion about that. He said, well, I'm not an expert. He said, what does he say here? I believe the bird is an immature bald eagle because, or before it's adult white head feathers emerge while I enjoy looking at birds. I'm never bothered to get very good. or I've never bothered to get very good at identifying them. I include a link below, which I think confirms it as an immature bald eagle we have a lot of bald eagles around here so it makes sense i sent oh no that's a personal um message to me regarding his contribution to the coffee fund cadre so thank you very much patrick okay i've got a question we're pretty immature but our feathers haven't changed or our hair hasn't changed color (laughs) how come if you're an immature eagle. How come you get different colored feathers? How does that well, work? I, I was, and I did, I did some research because I was a little, you know, uh, concerned, not concerned, but um, curious about that whole thing. So I started looking up some 
pictures of eagles and such. And I looked up, um, and to me, it looks like a possibly a brown eagle, uh, which doesn't have that that bald eagle look with the um, the feathers around the the head and that kind of thing, the lighter colored feathers. But uh, anyway, um, I think I don't know if we have a definitive answer there, but I think that it was actually an eagle. So, thank you, Patrick. That that, that beak is pretty eagle. vicious. What, what'd you say, uh, Steph? Oh, sorry, definitively an eagle of some sort. Yeah, I think so. Some variety. Now, just like the head yeah. kind of has that distinctive look to me. You know, yeah, looks the, like an eagle. Um, Steph's beak. not immature at all. No, no, she's I, not. Well, I think. Well, uh, I might. It might be. Uh, there, there are times. Never mind. Not going to go there. <laughs> I recall a text earlier in the week. Aren't you supposed to be the adults here? Uh, in reference to. <laughs> and Liz just sent us a message through inter-crew communications. Which is that, extremely immature. <laughs> very immature. We, we can't even say what she just said. So yes, way to Liz. go, Liz. Yes. All right, let's move on before we get into too much trouble with item number five uh, from Julie. And she says, hi, everyone. Another little something. I'm on a roll this week, she says. An Airbus A310 medevac plane transporting patients from Italy to Germany. Quite a stark contrast to our frontline hospital workers in garbage bag PPE. <laughs> Stay safe. Nose up. Flaps, etc. Julie in Portland. And so she sent us a, um, a picture or a link to a uh, Twitter post. And it has a picture of the, here, you know what? I think I have this so everybody can watch it. If you're watching the video, I will go ahead and, oh, looks like, it <laughs> looks like Liz it's already there. has already put it there. You're awesome, Liz. Thank you. Um, there's the picture of the inside of the A310 as an ICU ward, I guess. Pretty impressive. Cheers, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know if it's, uh, I mean, I'm surely it, uh, it's an ICU plane. It's a little mm-hmm. hard to tell what kind of equipment's going on in there, but certainly looks very well equipped um, to transport very ill passengers uh, or patients from one place to another. Yes, and you're right, Julie, is much more impressive than wearing the garbage cans or garbage uh, can liners. <laughs> garbage bags. Yeah, garbage bags, whatever. <laughs> All right. Garbage cans would be really, really bad. Not a good look. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let me go here with the um, guidance from Liz. She had a suggestion for me. Um, let's do. I've got a few suggestions for you. Yeah, as I well, know. But... I don't want to hear your suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> There That's are a lot of people. after the show. Again, yeah, especially next. after the after Pip's uh, pub quiz, I, I heard a lot of suggestions <laughs> for me. Um, let's see. Um, item six, Mike, and I. I think we had somebody else also send a, at least one other uh, send us a. Link uh, to this. this is what Dana teased earlier. Uh, if you were yes, to his getting to you exactly. Uh, Mike says since everybody on the crew has experience with all three of these airports, I thought I. Uh, they get a kick out of this flight. Apparently done around this Easter flight starts around the five minute mark. And uh, you'll just, I'm not going to play the video on the, on the show here, but it's really, really good. Apparently this um, gentleman 
is from what I could determine, I think he is a, a surgeon and he is also a pilot an accomplished pilot. And he is all, he's been flying, I think for 27, 28 years. And he's also the drummer for a Eagles cover band. I'm not sure exactly what you call it, but the, the world's greatest Eagles cover band or something like that. Eagle the, Mania band. Eagle Mania. Is what their name is. Yeah. yeah. And he uh, posted this video. So um, not too long ago, just um, about a, what, a week or two ago. Uh, he, so and I understand this completely. So they, they record these um, performances and these audio files, especially if you have multi-tracks, uh, end up taking up a lot of space. And it was like so much um, data that he couldn't really just send it to the person that does all the mixing and uh, final output for their recordings or their albums or whatever. Uh, so he put everything on this hard drive and he thought, I need to get this to one of the other band members. Um, and I think he said it was like an hour, hour and a half drive. But he said in my airplane, I could do it in like 30 minutes. So it sounds like to me, rationalization of, you know, going up to fly an excuse. And so he says, sounds you know, perfectly logical to me, Jeff. I don't know. <laughs> it does sound logical. And so he goes, I'm going to fly from, I think, Camden, New, Jer- New Jersey to somewhere down in Maryland to get this hard drive to his uh, fellow band member so he could start the uh, editing process. And he said, you know, not a lot of traffic going on right now in the New York area. So I'm going to try on the way back to go to Newark, uh, LaGuardia and Kennedy, all three of the major New York airports and do low approaches to, and actually, if you watch the video, he actually touched down on one of them. I think the one at Kennedy. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so um, I guess, you know, I was thinking about this. I guess he wanted to, I, I thought, well, why doesn't he just do a touch and go? But I think if he actually touches down, did he, does there he get a landing charged? Fee? Yeah. Is that, yeah, is there that might the be a landing fee. Yeah, it probably varies airport to airport, but yeah. if you want to make sure you avoid that landing fee, don't actually land. Because the first one, we was coming in in Newark, and I'm thinking, well, I mean, why didn't he just touch down? Because he was like maybe like a foot above the runway. I'm thinking that's not a low approach in my book. But um, yeah, that must have something to do with it, just so he wouldn't have to pay the landing fee, which would be probably pretty expensive for these airports. Yeah, I've heard for some airports, if you do a touch and go, it's there's no landing fee, but others, that's not the case. Yeah, Sometimes you have to actually exit the the runway or go to the ramp or something to incur that fee. This guy, his videos are awesome because he goes through, I I went back and looked at, to see what other video, I think he started in the fall of last year doing this, uh, YouTube video thing. And he goes through and he talks about all the flight planning that he does and everything else. Very interesting. Uh, looking at weather and other aspects of the flight. Um, and, uh, this one is very interesting. Uh, check it out. Uh, it's uh, It's a nice airplane, isn't it? Yeah, the, he. So mm-hmm. it was what really got my attention was when he was going out to his uh, RV eight, I think, uh, home built experimental uh, single engine aerobatic airplane, very well equipped, by the way. Um, the, he w- he was showing, you know, we're not going to take the Malibu today. Uh, we're going to do the RV, and I'm thinking the Malibu. That's got to be a very expensive airplane. Um, I'm thinking he must be 
I'm thinking that band must be doing very well. And then I realized <laughs> looking at something else that he was a surgeon. A surgeon. <laughs> so I think that's yeah. probably, that's probably, probably where the money is coming from. Um, but anyway, good stuff. Like his videos are, uh, the series is life in the fast lane. So nice nod to, uh, yeah. the Eagles band tribute life, band there too. Life in the fast lane. And apparently he has some contact or uh, connection to, Steve, uh, Steve Thorne over at flight chops. Many of you who listen to our podcast also, I'm sure subscribe to the uh, flight chops, uh, YouTube channel. And also, uh, another great podcasting great out there, Max Trescott aviation news talk, wonderful podcast. And, uh, he, he mentions them in the description in his video. Thanks to them. Not sure what exactly what they did, but obviously they helped him out. So um, very, very cool. Something that you definitely want to check out. Now, Mike Lawrence suggests that we have all landed at these airfields, except, of course, I haven't, because I never landed at LaGuardia. It's a bit small. Yeah, it was um, not a not a place for, you know, but you could you could land the 340 there. I probably could have at a stretch, but it's, it certainly wasn't anywhere on our on our schedule. But except that I did do it in the sim, and um, I don't know if we're going to get to Pip's uh, feedback where he talks about uh, um, using up the last twenty minutes or so of a sim uh, when mm-hmm. you run out of things to do. You've done all your detail. One of our instructors used to have a, a little sequence he would like us to have a go at, which was actually a great thing in crew coordination and uh, practicing visual approaches. So you'd start off on JFK. So imagine yourself on four left on JFK, take off, go straight ahead, um, clean up, and then dirty up again because you're immediately then going to turn left and do a touch and go on 3-1 at LaGuardia. Going to get airborne from there after your touch and go. turn left, uh, line up uh, on Central Park and do a low overshoot down Central Park and go down 7th Avenue. And then you're <laughs> going to do a, uh, a little S turn, a uh, right and a left, uh, and line up for 2-2 two, two left at Newark. Uh, you do a touch and go at Newark. And then uh, another little uh, S turn, you come uh, left and then right, do a landing on 1-3 right off of Kanazi back into JFK. And it would take about uh, 10 minutes probably to do one, two, three, four approaches if you did it Man. right. That sounds like a fun game. It was a very fun game. It was kind good. of a nice segue into Pip's uh, feedback there. Yeah. If you wanted to. I could do that. Uh, but before I do, I want to say that um, the th- I know that the 340-600 could easily land at LaGuardia because we used to fly the L-1011 there all the time. All right. Okay. Cool. So moving over to uh, 600 was bigger. That's what she said. Friendly competition. I see. Okay. You win. Uh, so <laughs> since we've teased Pip's uh, audio feedback, let's go ahead and play it. Hi guys, I just uh, was holding off a second beginning my uh, ramble. I was wondering if you'd hear the birds chirping away in the background. The birds are loving this lockdown. I'm glad somebody is. Uh, anyway, just um, 
uh, out for a run, thought I'd take a pause and uh, provide some feedback uh, on something Rick was talking about actually on the last episode. Uh, he had a fun conversation about being in the sim and doing, you know, some fun, fun activities. Uh, Rick was telling us about this guy who, in order to get re current, would do this exercise where you go off 300 feet and within three nautical miles of the airfield and and do all kinds of silliness. Um, which reminds me, we, uh, my company, well. As of today, my company, by the time you get this feedback, I've no idea. But uh, we uh, often get to do some silly things, play some silly games at the end of a a training session. Uh, They've got this thing, you know, at my company, if you finish the the sim session with time to spare, they can't let you out early or not too early. Uh, The sim instructors were getting in trouble for letting people out sort of 40 minutes early when the sim is paid for for the full four hours. So anyways, well often if we finish up early, the sim instructor will say to us, you know, is there something else you want to do, something you want to repeat or some, you know, some fun exercise that you'd like to do. And we always manage to dream up something fun. Uh, The standard go-to one that I really like, and I think I have a uh, a video of this on my YouTube channel, uh, it's the Philadelphia game. And I'm wondering if you guys have have done this one or something similar. The Philadelphia game's great fun. Uh, As you know, Philly has three parallel east-west runways and a north-south runway. Uh, The game is a time trial, a race. You start on the southerly runway. You take off, sidestep to a touch-and-go on the centre runway. Another uh, touch-and-go on the northern runway. And then circle round to land southbound on the fourth runway. And the object is to do it as quickly as possible. Um, <laughs> I'm, I seem to get beaten every time I do this. I think my record's like two and a half minutes or something. Um, but the trick to that one is, is, or the secret is, going fast is not necessarily the best way to do it. There's a seems to be about V2 plus sort of 10, 20 knots is about the optimum speed to do it. Although I'm sure you can make up some time during that circle. That's why I said all the time. Uh, but anyway, there's other fun things we do. There's, I don't know how your sims are modelled or what visual databases you have, but in our ones, we go to... Uh, I can't remember if it's Rio de Janeiro or certainly somewhere in South America where the database has a, an aircraft carrier moored up in, in the bay there. And you can uh, try, if you're brave enough, try and land on this aircraft carrier. Now, I've done that a couple of times. I almost managed it once, but then fell off the... <laughs> fell off the end of the deck into the sea oh you know the screen goes red um so i've never actually seen anyone successfully manage that i don't suppose you could do it in a a 747 or even a 767 for that matter even a mad dog who knows Uh, you certainly can't do it on a a tiny little jet like mine uh also several times we've done flown under the air bridget gatwick um or maybe the helicopter game that's a good one where you freeze the the motion no not the motion you keep the motion on of the sim but you freeze position and you give yourself like a 500 knot headwind and then you can just hover like a helicopter Uh, i did that a couple of times and each time it made me feel quite nauseous Uh, anyway so just wondering perhaps nick if you did anything similar if you had some favorite games you'd like to play in the sim or you guys at acme uh, if they let you do silly stuff like that Uh, and that's kind of it so i shall uh, wish you all Uh, Good flying if you can get it. Uh, Be healthy, be safe, and if possible, be employed. Take care, all.
Yeah, that's always a good thing. Be employed. Unless you're Nick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, he was employed for yes. a good part of his life. He's so. earned his retirement. Yes. Thank you. Yes, he has. All right. Um, no, my, my concern is being alive. It's always good to be alive. Yeah. yeah thanks, Pip, for the audio feedback. Um, that was a... Uh, yeah, I remember... I think I, I maybe we heard it or I heard it uh, listening to his show talking about that Philadelphia game. Uh, yeah, to, he certainly mentioned it before. Yeah. Yeah. Never By the way, I think we're at a club together and buy a, pip, a uh, windshield. <laughs> I'm glad you said it. I didn't want to say <laughs> One of those, uh, what do they call those? Dead dead kitties? Dead cats? Dead, dead cat, yeah. yeah. Um, dead cat. Oh, boy. Okay. Those little furry things that you see on uh, mm-hmm. microphones sometimes. They really did a great Well, job. he's already got one little microphone he stole from me. So, and that <laughs> oh, yeah? windshield. Oh, I thought you so were. I don't know why he didn't use it. That was a euphemism there. Okay. You were actually talking about a microphone. Yes. All right. Um, <laughs> let's go. All right. There... So what, what fun sim games have you guys played? Uh, you know what? For me, and nope. I've mentioned it many, many times, we can't wait to get out of the simulator. We don't, we don't prolong our simulator session any longer than it has to be. Fortunately, the company that I work for is is the company that owns the the sim, so we don't have to stay in right. to the last minute um, because you know the company owns the sim. So, um, yeah, uh, I've not done any fun things like that at all at Acme. Nick, me? Yes. What? No, you. Well, you talked any about his simulator games. The oh, JFK I, I thing. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. The other was um, you had to fly under Sydney Harbour Bridge, uh, having come down the harbour, so from the seaside, uh, under the bridge. And as you went under the bridge, uh, and you had to be really careful because as the cockpit went under the bridge, you had to just pitch up a little bit because otherwise the top of your tail uh, dinged the the bottom of the bridge. Um, And then uh, you get four engine failure. Uh, All four engines were failed. (laughs) And you had just enough energy to pitch up, do a 90 left, uh, dirty the airplane up and land at uh, Sydney, if you got it right. So that mm-hmm. was uh, a dead stick landing. Uh, that was good for a laugh. <laughs> good for a laugh. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, uh, we did try flying in the sim under the bridge at uh, Gatwick Airport, and it doesn't, a 340 won't fit. <laughs> not, not enough space. Not huh? enough clearance there? No. Yeah. We, How we about, tried a few times. Did you ever try to fly under the bridge over the River Kwai? <laughs> no. Was no, that a movie? I, I think there was. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did have a little bit of fun in the uh, Hawker simulator um, yeah. at Farnborough one year as well. That was fun. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what did what did Pip have you do there? Was it anything special? Well, Steph got to land at Charlotte and passed by her. That's true. Her, uh, her, her home. My house. Yeah. And you forgot to put your gear down, didn't you, Jeff? Well, no. That's not entirely he, true. He, he, we did not forget about the gear. We just didn't realize that that required a system that had failed. He, yeah, he, he gave me the, <laughs> uh, the Sully scenario of the miracle on the Hudson. And I made it to the runway at LaGuardia, runway one. It was three. a very nice gear up landing. Yeah, but I, 
at, at, at some point I realized, okay, I need to put the gear down, but the engines aren't on. Do we have hydraulic pressure to, I didn't know what the procedure was to lower the gear. I thought, well, what the heck? And then he said, well, the airplane is designed to land gear up without damage. So no problem. Went, okay. Without damage. Yeah. Uh, without That's loss a, of damage. No, like very minor damage. I mean, I remember oh. talking about a landing in a hawker at uh, Palm Springs um, last year. Uh, where they landed gear up. And I, I believe somebody, maybe Pep, said that, yeah, the thing was kind of designed that it can handle that with very little damage. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't know that at the time. I just didn't know how to get the gear to come down. I think we did put the gear handle down, but nothing happened. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah and nothing happened. Yeah. And Nigel has reminded me that I flew a 777 sim belonging to his old air, uh, airline under a bridge in Hong Kong. Ah, that worked out all yeah. right. Uh, yeah, it all went very well, except uh, I broke the sim trying to do a landing into um, Kai Tak and make the very first turnoff, which in a triple seven was painfully uh, ridiculous. But because I attempted it, still doing about a hundred knots, uh, <laughs> it broke the sim. <laughs> the sim didn't exactly well, the- come off its jack, but it. <laughs> It all went dark and it sulked uh, in a very strange angle. You say uh, so the uh, the landing gear just can't handle that or the yeah. brakes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go to all the way back to um, feedback number one. You know, uh, it was several episodes back, I believe, Steph, wasn't it? When we were talking about the color It blindness. was. It was a couple episodes. I don't think we... I think um, John John Mann is the guy that sent in the initial question regarding color blindness that set the whole thing off, and then he um, sent in some follow up email. And Liz and I weren't sure if we ever did cover this one or not, um, or if it got lost in the shuffle. Do you remember if we did or not? Stuff I don't recall covering this particular one. Okay, so no. just quickly. He says, thank you to everyone for their humor in regards to my email. Uh, the dream of uh, me flying as a commercial pilot has well and truly passed me by. I'm 41 years of age now, three young children. Uh, so taking on my dream into aviation is but a distant dream now. Maybe I wasn't so discouraged from an early age uh, than I would have continued and hounded people about my dream. But as a 16-year-old, I was broken. That's when he found out about his um, vision, the color blindness, and mm-hmm. somebody wrongly advised him that he could not be an airline pilot. Um, and also, I guess, um, that he wouldn't be able to follow the family tradition in the military at all. And he said, well, not 100% true. I could have just in positions he, that he had no interest in, and I guess non-flying positions. Um, anyway, um Uh, The reason why I wanted to cover this, um, he says, however, out of the gloom come some positives. I've attached a picture on my recent flight from Perth to Sydney on QF571, Qantas, an A330-200, of my little guy Blair, who had a great experience of visiting the cockpit when we landed in Sydney. Seems at his early age, he has been bitten by the aviation bug. Although I would never pressure him into an aviation career, he will never hear an objection from me either. The crew was great with him, even after the red eye across Australia. And I think the smile says it all. 
Uh, so there's a nice picture that he sent in. Um, is that displaying on our? Yep, it is. It okay. is. Thank you, Liz. Um, of Blair sitting in the captain's seat of this A330-200. Uh, Victor Hotel Echo Bravo Juliet. And he says, well, uh, crew, I will sign off for here now. And once again, thank you for all you do on the podcast. I enjoy them immensely and enjoy the banter between you all. Stay safe. And may you enjoy smooth flying and even more important, smooth landings. And again, that's John Mann sent to us back in February and um, just wanted to make sure that we covered that and everybody could see his good looking son, Blair, sitting in the captain's seat. That's horrible. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we covered it. Um, I was just thinking I might not be the best person to ask about that today since I couldn't remember what Nick talked about like three minutes earlier. But um. (laughs) Uh, That's all right. I can't either. (laughs) Uh, All right. But yeah, I, I'm glad we were able to get him some um, some good answers. And there were a lot of folks who jumped in, as always, on the um, on their uh, journey with colorblindness and getting things checked out. And and I think perhaps um, you know things have changed um, in those few years that have elapsed since the time he was 16, and he's now 41. So uh, even if it wasn't possible then, um, certainly things have changed, perhaps in terms of testing. Yep. Yeah, we don't want to beat the dead horse, but. Um... Okay, I'm sharing the screen now. This is a news item that was sent in by Elijah. And he says, hey guys, love your show. Makes my hour-long commute so much more tolerable. I'm working through your past episodes, maybe someday making it to episode number one. Here's a story that occurred last night near my area. I didn't know if it was worth sharing, but I found it amusing and thankfully had a good ending. Pretty sure the pilot will be getting some phone calls. Yeah, I agree. And this happened in Elkins, Arkansas. And do you all see that on the screen? Yes. Okay, thank you. Is that near Arkansas? Uh, It's very close to Elkins, Arkansas, but it's uh, Arkansas in this case. Okay, so we're going to play this. Breaking news tonight at 10, a plane taking off Highway 16 in Washington County. After making an emergency landing just a couple of hours ago, this exclusive video you'll only see here on 5 News. Thanks for joining us. I'm Darren Bob. And I'm Erica Thomas. It happened just about a half hour ago after the plane ran out of gas. It happened just where Highway 16 and Highway 74 intersect north of Elkins. You can see here on this map, that's where we find 5 News reporter Juliana Clipson, who watched that plane take off. Juliana, was anyone hurt in this case? Darren and Erica, no one was heard in this emergency landing, but right here on Highway 16, a small group of people gathered right here to see something that I know I've never seen before, a plane take off on the highway. They were able to get fuel back in that aircraft, and he was able to take off, barely missing these power lines to go over the highway. Take a look at this video here you're only seeing on 5 News. This shows Elkins police and fire as they were able to clear a pathway for that plane to take off here, shutting down traffic. Hopefully, you know, passing over these power lines just fine as it did. Eyewitnesses tell me that the plane was dropping lower and lower earlier today. Police say the pilot was trying to make it to the Springdale Airport before that emergency landing. Crews were able to get fuel back in the aircraft so it could take off again. Sadie Travis and a small group gathered outside this church here, and she says that that pilot was able to make a perfect emergency landing and take off tonight. It full, it went on the highway and it um, drived off and went into the air. It was surprising because when it went up, it looked like it was going down again, but then it went back up. And then it turned and went that way and I got to saw it and it was really cool. 
she got to saw it. Um, uh, I've got a question. Yeah, I've got I a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. Uh, uh, what, doesn't the FAA have something to say about this before it goes it. off again? I was going to ask who the same. The, I'm not sure why the they road? thought it was a good idea to do it in the dark when you can't yeah. see the power lines or other exactly. obstacles. Yeah, it's not a runway. Um, yeah. So who did the performance calculations? Then a bunch this of is someone questions. who ran out of fuel to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was wondering if the FAA like, had anything at all to do with this. And then I was thinking, probably not. And then when the camera was taking a wonderful picture of his N number on his airplane, he's probably thinking, <laughs> dang it. I hope they don't see this. <laughs> Well, I think oh. the FAA is going to be making a few phone calls. Would you, you need think? some kind of authorization so. to uh, do a takeoff on the runway? I mean, not runway, on, the uh, on the highway. Wow. That's oh. funny. I thought the same. I think we were all on the same page there. We're going like, huh? Yeah. Did, is that? But none that of that happen? gives me warm fuzzies. No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you would see them when your lights shined on them when they were too late. Maybe. Pardon What's me? that? When your landing light may have shined on some obstacle just before you hit it, that might. No, but he did a very professional landing. Didn't you hear that girl? <laughs> okay. That's what she saw. Well, All she right. just saw the, uh, she just the saw takeoff, the takeoff. Yeah. I think, I, I think she did say something. Seen. She, she did saw it. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Not smart. Oh, oh, Arkansas. Yeah, love you dearly. I love the Arkan Arkansans. What would you call a person in Arkan Arkansas? I think they might be getting a letter of investigation. Is my my thing. Our Arkansans. Arkansans. I think actually that is the way you say it. Arkansan. I don't know. All right. Um, I think that's going to be enough. I don't think anybody can stand any more from us. Uh, on today's show, we're getting close to the three hour mark anyway. And a couple of the ones we have remaining in our feedback, I think would be uh, most appropriate to save until uh, Miami Rick is back with us again. If you're just joining us right now, he is on his, or just ending his IOE and uh, we'll hear all about that when he returns, hopefully next episode next week. Um, in the meantime, let us tell you about the, Airline Pilot Guy website. It's a great place to go to learn more about the crew and our community. And let's see, I'm going to see if I can find the thing to play here. Okay, there we go. Put that on the screen there if you're watching the video. Um, it has a list of all our podcasts. We um, uh, A link for our YouTube page. By the way, again, if you want to Watch us uh, while we record the show live. Go to airline pilot guy, excuse me, youtube.com slash airline pilot guy, or just click on that link right there in our webpage, airline pilot guy.com. Um, Plain Tales, a prominent page on our site where you can learn more information about these great plain tales that Nick does for us every week, uh, including pictures and other information that uh, he may not have enough time to cover on the audio uh, version of the plain tales. Uh, we have, if you're a reader, if you like books, uh, we have uh, the ABG library, which is managed by our librarian, Tiffany. 
Uh, so check that out. Coffee fund information, how you can join the coffee fund, be part of the coffee fund cadre, uh, t-shirts and other items on the APG store and a way for you to contact us. And the all important uh, APG community calendar is also there as well. So check out the airlinepilotguy.com website and to keep abreast of when we are recording shows and when they're released and other stuff. Uh, it's a good idea to follow us on social media. It is. That's probably the best place to find all that information, at least uh, last minute and be notified of any changes. Cause uh, goodness knows that sometimes we have to switch up the schedule just a little bit. You can follow us on Twitter. That's at APG crew and find all of our individual Twitter information pinned to the top of the page there. You can also head over to facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. Lots of uh, folks from the community are joining us there and sharing all kinds of stories and information. And um, sometimes on Instagram, also at APG Crew. So see you on the social meds. Excellent. And we are also on Slack. And again, I, I know, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult for me to set up all these hidden microphones and such. But uh, even when I'm on the road, I'm able to... Uh, set up these microphones and uh, that's the bathroom here in my studio in where am I? San Antonio, Texas. Hey. Hello. Hello. Time. Slack, come on over. All right. He's going to tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas, we suggest episode and plain tales topics, we plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thank you, Hillel. Now you can go back and do whatever it is that you do. And another... Uh, I do want to know what it does. <laughs> Let's not expound on We don't want to, you know, as, as we always say on our show... Uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. Right. Yeah, and you don't want to know how a sausage is made. No, you don't. And also a big round of applause for our Liz. producer director, Liz, who is uh, in the control Hello, room in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Thank you, Liz. We, hey, Liz. Uh, Can you do me a huge favor? Huge favor? It's illegal, though. No, mm. Congrats. <laughs> thank you, Liz. Well, Again, just to remind Dana. Uh, family show, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. There, there, there's, a, there's a limit to what Liz can do for all of us. Crown Royal oh. Limited. Oh, it can that. only be bought in Canada. Ah. And you know what? We're not allowed to go up to uh, Canada anymore. Until like May or June or something. I don't know. I know. That's why I'm just cheering Liz on saying, please, ah. please. She, she would be well, I'm sure we'll all be reuni- reunited at some point in the future. Hope so. And uh, with that, thank you everybody for um, listening to our show, subscribing to it, uh, reviewing it, um, watching it, and all the other things that you do with it. 
<laughs> Until next Again, time. Again, we don't we don't need additional details there. <laughs> yeah, That's you fine. don't need to let us know. Until next time. Well, you can let us know. We, we just won't talk about it on the show. Uh, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and talons, Douglas. Cheers, y'all. Bye, buddy. Hasta la vista, baby. Good day.